Welcome into South of Scruffy Podcast. My name is Ben Fields. This is my podcast. Thank you for being here. We have a special episode today. It's a double header. A double header. Two guests. I have uh, Jade Adams and Brandon Bruce on the show today. This is the first ever SOS double header. And with it being a special episode, I thought we'd do something else special and have South of Scruffy alum Chris McAdoo help me introduce the guest today. Chris is here. Uh, yes. <laughs> How are you? I'm glad to be here back in the South of Scruffy uh, studios. It's been a wild, uh, it's been a wild few months, and I'm happy to have made these introductions to Brandon and to Jade for you, for the South of, of Scruffy, because these are the kind of people that I think everybody can, like, you, you feel their energy, right? Yeah. And both Brandon and uh, and Jade are also. Uh, they are bent towards action. Mm. Both are doers. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, uh, in in very different ways, right? In different, yeah. uh, you know, but also uh, you see some of those overlapping skills, that passion, that drive to do better, that drive to support your community, that is like super strong with both of them. Yeah, Brandon walked in here. He's the only person that's ever had to duck to miss that. Uh, plywood right there. <laughs> He's like six foot eight or something. Yeah, like and Jody that. Collins has been here. So, you know, I mean, that's a, that's, that's rarefied air. Yes. Yeah. It was, I'm, I'm really glad that you introduced me to him because I had no idea how much he had in the hopper. The dude's everywhere. He does so much. Uh, I didn't know there was a soccer team coming to town. Uh, the Muse is another thing that uh, we've been huge fans of for a long time that he's on the board of. So lots of, of cool stuff that, it, that he's, back there making making happen and it seems like very selflessly that is a dude that is driven to um like when he sees a a problem uh-huh. like or a or a problem or a potential right mm-hmm. like he wants to see that potential realized yeah and he'll do the work to make that happen yeah he'll support people he you know he he's a guy that is willing to put his resources and his time behind things that matter to him yeah and, you know, I think that's something we can all, like, you know, we can all aspire to. Last week, he did, I think, 450 miles solo bike ride mm-hmm. right through the Natchez Trace yeah. uh, Trail just because, like, he decided that he wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. He can do it. <laughs> yeah. Chris, last time you were here, you had been uh, attacked by bees and <laughs> questioned everything about life. And you were on a sabbatical. And you were painting. Yeah. And – and all that, but some you you've you've gotten into some new space since then, I believe. Yeah, no, and I still, I, of course, I'm still uh, I'm still painting, but I uh, I joined up with the Knoxville Entrepreneur Center. I call me the entrepreneurial evangelist, right? <laughs> yes, like um, so. Are you for the, advocating? Are you are you a, a, an advocate for Knoxville's a, entrepreneurs? Yeah, yes, absolutely. The Knoxville Entrepreneur Center. We're all about um, essentially changing lives through entrepreneurship. Like we've got a big goal there. We want to give people the tools, resources, and connections to do what they want to do with their lives. Right. Mm -hmm. And we have a big goal, uh, which is to become the most founder friendly city in America. Mm. 
Um, goals that, are good. Goals are good. Yeah. But it's one that Knoxville is, uh, I think, is is ready to uh, is ready to take on. Mm. Right. We are the maker city. Yeah. And uh, and we take that stuff pretty seriously. You know, yeah. like we have a great community here, and like you said, we are positioned to do that. And we use that word founder mm. very intentionally. Because a found like you don't necessarily think of yourself if you're a you know, photographer, a maker, a this or that, a restaurant owner as a founder. Right. But in fact, you are a founder of a company in the yeah. same way that your guest, you know, Brandon Bruce is a founder of a company. You mm. think about your Elon Musk's and all that. Yeah. But Jade Adams is a founder of a company. Right. And when you think about that, it gives you a different um, it gives you a different sense of ownership. Mm. Right about yourself, about your skills, about your company, and about your community, because you want to find other people that are founders, you know, that are willing yeah. to put put their necks out there, put it on the line, and and do the work that it takes. Right? Yes. And I I appreciate what what you guys do, what your entity does, KEC Knoxville Entrepreneur Center, uh, because it it's such a, a a great resource for people that are getting started and on that journey seems like you guys are very altruistic about the connection thing. It's like, we're, we're here to connect founders. We're here to connect people that are just starting out with all the resources they need, get that obstacle out of their way and let them run with it from here. Oh, absolutely. You know, we're really excited because we've got this, um, this big for folks out there. You may have seen it being, you know, teased out there, but the made for Knoxville Mm. uh, campaign, which is, like a storytelling experience like has never been done before here in this in this town made for knoxville.com where people are giving us their entrepreneurial stories mm. so it's narrative it's a storytelling um, site and campaign. We've got, I think like 50 some odd interviews. We've got 70 or 80 entrepreneur stories. And we've got folks like Jack Neely writing these <laughs> articles about the history of business and creativity in Knoxville. Wow. Wait, uh, what's the website? What's the uh, URL? Madefornoxville.com. Nice. Yeah. Awesome, man. Should we, should we get into Brandon? I think we need to get into Brandon. Let's get the, let's, let's, let's give the folks what they came for. Yeah. All right. Well, here we go. Here's my conversation with Brandon Bruce. We're doing the podcast. Rowing makes your legs stronger. I guess that's where you're getting all your power. All the power. It's coming from your legs. Your back gets big too. I mean, it's all physics, right? So you're yeah. holding on the oar uh-huh. and then you go up and then you push with your legs. So yeah. your back is simply just holding on. Uh-huh. And then the very end, you'll rip it off with your arms. Gotcha. But if you just use your arms to row. You're done. Yeah, because you get exhausted. Yeah. I noticed all the drift boats I've ever rowed before. It's all about your feet. They've got a little step there for you to put your feet on because that's where all your love is coming from. Yep. That's why it's so good for you, I guess. It's all about the meat. Yeah. yeah. Did uh, They do the regattas down it. Oak Ridge, yeah. Oak Ridge. And it's it's awesome. crazy, man. Beautiful there. And then so there's one person that sits up in the front, right? Yeah, the coxswain. The coxswain. Uh-huh. And then are they just getting everybody in beat? Together? They're barking out instructions. So they do two They do two main things. And and one, they're always the smallest person in the boat. Yeah. They. You don't want that added weight? They're jockeys. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's like, here I am, huge guy in the middle of the boat, other huge guys, and then tiny, a tiny person. That would be the coxswain. They're steering the boat. Mm. So they have little ropes. Oh, I didn't they know do that. The rudder. So ah. like, if you're getting side current, then they'll turn the rudder so you can keep the boat going straight. So are they in the front? So looking backwards? 
Yeah, they're looking at the rowers. And so we're yeah. rowing and the boat's going Backward. that way, backwards. Yeah. Gotcha. But they can see where we're going. So they're the only ones that can see where we're going. You're the We motor. can see where we've been. Yeah. Did it benefit yeah. you to be tall? Yeah, because yeah. of the physics side, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you just, it's a longer pull. Yeah. So because you're supposed to be in time with the other rowers, uh, if you're taller, then you can get a longer pull in. You just have to make it a faster pull. Yeah. And that's... <laughs> That's the power equation. So you said you see Santa Barbara? Yeah. Or are you from Knoxville? Where are you from? Mm, from Santa Barbara County. Okay. Oh, it's a yeah. beautiful part of the world. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. I love it, man. Yeah. It's super cool. It is. It's really nice. I lived in LA for a couple of years and Santa Barbara was always where we where we went if we wanted to feel fancy. There is that aspect to it, right? <laughs> so so Santa Barbara is an interesting place because Santa Barbara County mm -hmm. is very much a split between southern Santa Barbara County, which includes Santa Barbara City, and northern Santa Barbara County. Mm. So Santa Barbara city is going to be, have a lot of wealth. Um, it's going to be very liberal leaning. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of entertainment personalities. You're liable to see a famous person, right? Right. Oprah's got a house there, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And the Northern part of County where I grew up is rural. Mm. So you got wine country, you've got uh, cattle. Yeah. It's, you know, very rural, rural roads, et cetera, small mm -hmm. population, more conservative, more agrarian, agricultural. Right. So it's interesting. Yeah, but my wife and I went to some some vineyards there uh, in Santa Barbara. We took we took the long way to San Francisco from LA one time. That's the best way to do it. One hundred one. Oh yeah. heck yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. What do you remember? Which ones you went to? No, it's been ten years probably. So you ever seen the movie Sideways? Yeah. Okay. So the first winery <laughs> they go to in that movie Solvang is it? Uh, yeah. The, the first one they go to in the movie is in is in Bealton. Okay. Which is where they stay at the windmill. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a real hotel. Yeah. And so the first winery they go to is the Sanford Winery uh -huh. in Blakeney, Sanford. Their daughter was my only classmate in grade school. <laughs> Why did you only have one? That's how small the town it is. <laughs> Los Olivos, California, population 800. Really? Yeah. Okay. So it was a class of two. Well, how'd, how'd and it you... was out in the sticks. Yeah. Are we recording? Yeah. Sweet. I started a little bit ago. I just pressed <laughs> go. Is that all right? Yeah. We're just telling stories. <laughs> no. I was just like, should, should we save any of these stories? Yeah. <laughs> no. We just talk. Welcome to a three-hour episode of South of Scruffy. Yeah, they, I've had a three-hour one before, and, and we just re-recorded it instead. I was like, man, we can't. I can't. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm just not that presumptuous that, to this. think that people would want to listen to it. I don't think they do. Yeah. Wait, so so you grew up in California. Yeah. In a small, small town. Two two students at your school, you and... Two, two students in my grade. Yeah. In San, Sanford? Yeah. In, in Los Olivos, California. So it was called the Family School. And it's out in the sticks and we would go for hikes and this was, you know, tarantula territory, let tarantulas walk on your arm and rattlesnakes. We had an outhouse mm, at the school, at the school. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so it was, it was awesome. Like what a great I place bet. to go to school as a kid. Cause it was all this self-directed learning. Yeah. Like you want to learn about nature and what you can eat out there. Miners, lettuce, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah we yeah. totally did that. Yeah. And you want to pick up a book and read it cause you're interested in the topic. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, so that's what that was all about. One of the interesting little factoids is while I was going to school there, then across the street, we got a neighbor. And so the the neighbor was across the street was the entrance to Neverland Ranch. No way. Yeah. That's where Michael Jackson's ranch was. Really? Yeah. When was that? Uh, this would have been in the 80s. It's okay. early not. Yeah. yeah After no, it would have thriller. been 80s. Would have After been 80s. thriller is when he bought the. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, <laughs> but it. Uh, I never had a chance to go there, but it, but apparently some pretty cool stuff. I mean, a full water park. There was a zoo with exotic animals. We'd see like a helicopter come across the school. 
like and what's that like oh to, to bring him home and yeah, yeah. take him out of there yeah because he does fly to la or something like that he's yeah, the biggest star in the world yeah, it was huge in the 80s yeah so we'd be like going to school and there'd be you know people camped out yeah paparazzi front, yeah. or fans <laughs> exactly or... in front of the gate for his place and we'd be like oh wow weird yeah it's nuts man so how did you so how did you get to uh, Santa Barbara State and do the rowing thing and all that? What was what was your what was your focus to to get you there? Was it sports growing up or was it? That's a good question. I always played sports. Um, you know, my favorite sport growing up was soccer. Yeah, which a lot of people I think find surprising because I'm six foot eight, so yeah. they assume you know probably like volleyball, basketball. I played all those. <laughs> I love playing tennis. My brother and I played a ton of tennis. He's a great player. Um, but I played a lot of soccer. So one of the cool things now about Knoxville is that we've got great soccer in Knoxville, and mm. we got we got a pro team coming. Uh, yeah, which I'm involved with Knox Pro Soccer and I'm yeah. super excited about it. Um, When's that coming? Soon. I mean, first game should be next year. Where are you going to play? Uh, so originally, I think the games will likely be, well, I mean, where can you play soccer in Knoxville in a big enough stadium, right? It's probably, mm-hmm. probably at UT. Yeah. Well, probably Regal where the team plays at UT. But, yeah. but what I think now is exciting, the announcement that came in the paper yesterday is that the new proposed Boyd Stadium right mm. for the Smokies baseball yeah. team is designed to be mixed use uh, and so the idea would be that the soccer team will be able to play there you, which I think is awesome that would be great when it's done right I mean it's going to take a year and a half two years to build it yeah but. I mean if they can get past opposition too you know people are a little bit opposed to it yeah it, it, seem, it seems like it has momentum yes, right? it, among, yes. The, among the city county the state the state has put money behind it or said they would and mm-hmm. so it seems like it's heading that direction. Yeah. When uh, Alan Sims, you know that guy? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was on here and um, we talked a lot about the baseball stadium, but he, he, he said, you know, he would be in favor of it as long as it's used a lot, you know, that it's not just used 40 days a year for, you know, for, for minor league baseball, use it all the time. Uh, yeah. To get developments bringing up all around it, which sounds like the plan. So it sounds like the more things they can use it for the, less likely it will be met with opposition. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, look, Knox Pro Soccer, super excited about it because what a great venue. Mm-hmm. And it'll be a big draw and there'll be dozens of games every year. So you layer that on top of baseball and you add in outdoor concerts, right? I mean, this, yeah. is, this will be the premier venue that we yeah. would have in Knoxville for doing big outdoor events. Yeah, that's what that's what I'm excited about the most is, is, um, is being able to – Walkable stuff downtown, sporting events that you can walk to. Yeah. I miss that about uh, – I lived in Greenville, South Carolina, and it was perfect. It revitalized their town when they did something like that, when they built the baseball stadium on the west side of town. I think it's going to be huge. I mean, I'm excited. Obviously, you know, we're both residents, so it's yeah. like, hey, this is going to be fun. We can yeah. go downtown, grab a meal. Knoxville's a foodie city, so we have a great yeah. meal downtown, walk to a game, really enjoy the whole atmosphere. But it's also important to, to note that it's like it's going to be right next to the interstate. And I think it, it checks the box that I've talked about over the last several years of like, you know, Zillow, right? Make me stop. So I'm cruising on the interstate. Yeah. And there's Knoxville. And am I going to stop or am I not going to stop? If you see stadiums, something awesome going on, there's a baseball game. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right. Take the next exit and come and visit. So I think it's going to be a boon for the restaurants, the hotels, you know, just the overnight uh, getting people to come in and really enjoy our city. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's a huge draw and we've always been, I don't know, we've been kind of hemmed in by the interstate and the, and the river as far as like downtown expansion is concerned. So to be able to utilize <laughs> its proximity to the interstate will be good. Yeah. I think, like. I think it, it's going to help to open up 
that whole area. Get and, us across and, Hall of Fame. And also. provide connectivity. I mean, I think yeah. that's one of the things that's most exciting is, is creating that corridor that connects the downtown core and Old City with East Knoxville and mm -hmm. all the investment that the city has put into Magnolia, the promise of the standard knitting mill, yeah. redevelopment that's coming for too long. Like, I think that that entire area is going to be lifted up by this. That's the goal. Yeah, I think so too. Um, you know, the foundry that was right there, uh, that Dewhurst turned into some, some lofts, you know, that kind of felt like it was starting to squeeze that way. Uh, I used to live in Park Ridge and I was like, man, when is standard knitting mill going to be a brewery or what, you know, whatever it is. Cause it felt like right, right on the bubble. We were right. We were ready for the ripple to come our way and, you know, I wasn't there long enough to see it happen, but it, it seems like got slowed down by a few things, but a huge boon it would be for the uh, Knox Knox rail salvage to be the home of a baseball stadium. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, yeah. I feel at this point, you know, a high level of confidence that it's coming. Good. And then to your point, the knitting mill, I think is also, it's also coming, right? It's taken yeah. a while, like you said, but when it happens, I think it's going to be awesome. Cause it's like, what a cool building. Do we know who owns it? Is it the yeah. South Carolina group yep. still? Yep. Okay. Yep. Firm in South Carolina. They're excited about redeveloping it. They've got a okay. track record of, you know, successful redevelopments of similar projects mm. all around the Southeast. Good. You know, usually anchored by, you know, core grocery, which I think could be a great thing. It would be um, a great thing, you know, for that part of town, you know, how yeah. far do you need to drive to get mm -hmm. to core grocery? So that, that's oftentimes if you look across their portfolio projects, that's oftentimes what's there, which that building is plenty big enough to accommodate yeah. that plus residential, plus a lot mm. of retail, plus some offices. I mean, it's 350 plus yeah. thousand square feet. It'd be great to do like a Chelsea Market slash, um, what's the one, like Ponce in yeah, Atlanta. Yeah, Ponce City Market, Atlanta. Yeah, Ponce City Market. There's one in Chattanooga too that's kind of yeah. similarly, uh, was similarly repurposed. Yeah. No, I think I think we are, we're seeing the emergence of those types of projects, you know, Knoxville sized. Mm. So you, you're looking at, you know, the, the food hall coming to Regus. Yeah. Super stoked. About uh, is that, that happening? Yeah. That, that, the articles that I've read, you mentioned really? Alan Sims earlier. I mean, yeah. I, I think I read about it in his blog. And that's Re that's Regus? Um, yeah. And the Regus building, right? Where the, the, yeah. it has the, the lofts up above that yeah, look, yeah, yeah. look across the city. And so on that lower level. Food yeah, hall. Yeah. Food hall with kind of shared amenities, right? Shared mm -hmm. seating, shared checkout experience, but lots of different food options. Mm -hmm. So I think that's going to be awesome. Um, I, I talked to John McCready. Do you know that guy? Yeah. The uh, So he's got the free service tire building now. He, he was telling me, <clears throat> which I think is brilliant, that, that his mindset and, and maybe some other developers too, was that, you know, Market Square is going to be the kind of touristy, the, 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 the place that the tourists are going to want to go. And then the other side of the railroad tracks is, is going to be somewhere that maybe the, the locals will know about. And, and <laughs> <laughs> People are going to find out fast. I you mean, think? It, yeah. And, and I think, but it is good. You, you want something for everybody and you want to have more than one place that's drawing. Because if you, you go one place one day and then well, what are we going to do next weekend? Yeah. Oh, we go check out the other awesome place, yeah. which is why I was mentioning like uh, the Kern Bakery project, right? So it's like yes. a food hall over here in Regus, but then on the other side of town, you go across the bridge and you have awesome food experience in the facility they're building out. Yeah. So it, the we'll ripple is huge. It feels good. It feels big. I'm excited by yeah. all of it. Yeah. Because I'm not that far from it right here, you know, I'm, when five minutes. Yeah. yeah. I'm five minutes from all of it, which is perfect. Um, so what's your uh, connection with the soccer team? Oh, so uh, one of the backers of the team. I'm excited okay. about the vision cool. uh, that Drew McKenna and all the people working on the project have for it. Mm -hmm. And like I say, I love playing soccer as a kid. I think it's one of those it's one of those things, and people call it the world sport, right? It's a global sport, mm -hmm. and that was my experience as a kid, and has been ever since. I mean, my dad took me and my brother to games in LA, 
and we show up and it's, you know, it's the most diverse crowd you can imagine. Yeah. There's people from 20 different countries yeah. that are all cheering, singing the songs of their country or their club. And we're in the stands and pennants are waving. And it's just a really unique environment yeah. uh, to enjoy a sporting event. So I love the game, but I also love the community aspect of it. Right. Like I'm looking forward to seeing that play out in Knoxville. Like yeah. what, you know, what are going to be our songs? Yeah, in Knoxville. Like, yeah. That's pretty unique, right? You go to a yeah. football game, you're gonna do Rocky Top, right? But then soccer teams have their own, yeah, have their own cultures, have their own songs. And yeah, and if the the Nashville Predators uh, crowd has shown us anything, it's that we can cut, we can be rowdy and come up with some, come up with some <laughs> songs for the whole, for no the whole crowd. Bar. Yeah, but no, I mean it's exciting to see what's happening in, in Nashville. I went to a Nashville soccer club game over the weekend. Okay, uh, you know it had to be a social distance crowd because of pandemic, but they still drew like eighteen thousand people. Wow. Um, awesome crowd. Yeah. A lot of great energy. Mm-hmm. Atlanta's soccer team, it draws it's it's one more the, than the football team. It's one of, well, it's one of the biggest in the world. Is it? Yeah. So I mean they're they're out drawing a lot of the biggest clubs in Europe because wow. Atlanta is such a big metro and yeah. people love the team. I know a guy who lives in Alabama two hours away and has season tickets to the Atlanta soccer. soccer well, and that's a great point, right? Hopefully not only is this going to be something that draws, you know, all of us that happen to live in the city and even in the county to mm. games. But we may be drawing people from Tri-Cities. Sure. Draw people from Cookville yeah. that want to come and see a game. And I think that'd be super cool. Yeah. So so what's the, what level? I'm not very familiar with professional soccer. So yeah. what kind of is, level is this um, using the MLS as a? Yeah. So people are familiar with MLS, Major League right. Soccer, right? right? So these are big teams like LA Galaxy, Chicago Fire, mm-hmm. et cetera. There's a United Soccer League and they have multiple levels. And so the starting level is the league Two, and that's where Knoxville will be starting. Okay, with a view to then going up to League One. Mm. Is, it, is this like a relegation like a season? No, not necessarily no. A relegation. You just have to have enough backing and mm. enough size and be mm. able to prove out. Hey, we're drawing really solid crowds. We got gotcha. the right metro market for it. All the stats about Knoxville indicate that we should be able to support a League One team. So we'll start at League Two to get you know our feet under us, mm-hmm. really establish the brand and the team. Awesome, and then you know get up to League One. Awesome. That's going to be cool, man. Soccer, soccer fans are everywhere. You know, I mean, I I don't know why this is anecdotal. I heard it somewhere. I think I've heard it my whole life that, you know, more kids play soccer than any other sport oh, in yeah. America combined, like yeah. <laughs> basketball, baseball, whatever. Every it's a pretty play. shared cultural thing. I mean, most yeah. of the time, if you talk with people, it's like, hey, yeah, did you play? Do you play soccer as mm-hmm. a kid? It's like, well, yeah. Well, you can play it with anything. You can play it with a water bottle. You know, right. you don't. You, you can play it with a, an old pumpkin. That's <laughs> you know? one right. No equipment needed, really. Yeah, football. You got to have shoulder pads, helmet, all that kind of stuff to have to have a team. It's so expensive. Um, what what are, the thing that I've always struggled with with, with soccer too is. Um, I've always had the question of, of why there isn't opportunity in it as, as much opportunity for athletes clearly great at it. We we've, you know, I, I went to Bearden high school. We had one of the best soccer teams in the country when I was there Yeah, and you know, those kids went to college, they got the college paid for the, the kids that were on scholarship. But after that, there's really, you know, going, going to the MLS is it, it didn't, you know, it didn't seem like an option at the time for them. Um, and I've always wondered if if we think that's because you know the the United States are our, our best athletes the LeBron James of the world playing other sports so it, it seems like soccer hasn't really grabbed on here um, like it has in Europe but the last ten years have kind of shifted a little bit it yeah, seems like I think so too I mean that's been the prevailing narrative you know since I was a kid so for the last few decades right like hey soccer's not quite caught on 
but it's really popular among kids. Well, now all those kids are growing up, yeah, right? <laughs> that makes sense. Now we're middle age and we like to watch soccer and we're excited about it. So there's no doubt that what you're saying is true. Soccer is trending. And so, mm. you know, when you look overseas at, you know, Europe, Latin America, if you look at social media, it's like the top 10 social media accounts, like eight of them are soccer players. Really? Yeah. In the world. Well, like the two highest paid athletes. athletes in the world were, you know, Ronaldo and, and Messi, right? Yeah. So and you think like when you look at the stats, it's really phenomenal because you go, well, Le- LeBron James is crazy popular and he yeah. has a big social following. Yeah. And then you look at the top soccer players and it's like 10x. Dwarfs him. Yeah. yeah it's unbelievable when you look yeah. at the bar, bar chart. So no, there's tremendous demand worldwide. And I think it is trending up in the U.S. But to yeah. your point, I mean, when I was a kid, I remember watching a, a local game in Santa Barbara, half of the national team was on both teams that were playing. Really? And there were maybe 200 people yeah. in the stands. And after the game, it was great because I got to go up and get autographs from all the players on right. the ball. And it was it was like a community game. Hmm. Uh, but now, you know, you want to go to a Chicago game or an Atlanta game, you're there with 70,000 people. Yeah. They're, and they're, and there's new clubs popping up everywhere. Right. Like Minneapolis and Nashville, you know. And the time has come for Knoxville. Like we're one of four similarly sized metros hmm. that doesn't have a pro team. Wow. So it's time, yeah. right? We'll fill, wow. we'll, fill, yeah. we'll fill that void. So when do, you, when do you think it's happening? When will we see the first whistle? Hear, the, the, hear the first whistle? Yeah, okay. I mean, approximately a year from now, Okay, I think is first whistle. So, Excellent. you know, stay tuned for the exact date. That's I don't, exciting. I don't think it's been booked yet, but that's, yeah. That's really exciting. That's the word. Yeah. So how'd you get here from California? What brought you here? <laughs> a long drive. I, yeah, uh, I, yeah, I made that drive a couple of <laughs> times. But how did we, because I feel like we're so lucky to have you in, in Knoxville and just reading about you online and going through your whole, you know, your journey, what I can find of it. It's like, man. Well, we're happy really to be here. Effort. I mean, you know, the old line goes, right? There's folks lucky enough to be born in Knoxville. And then those of us that had to make our way here. <laughs> uh, so we so we made our way here. So yeah, I grew up in, in Santa Barbara County. My wife is from Texas. Okay. Uh, we met in California. We moved and lived in DC mm. uh, for about three years. So 04 to 07. And then when she got her PhD in sociology, she did a, a nationwide search and found a great college that she was really excited about uh, here in Tennessee. And that was Maryville College. Oh, wow. And so we moved down here uh, from DC. I remember she called me because it was I was in California and it was day two of the bar exam. I finished law school, I was taking the bar exam. And she said, I've got this offer from Maryville College. I'm really excited about it. I think you'll like the community. It's beautiful. There are mountains there, which she knows is important to me. I'm a big cyclist and outdoors yeah. guy. And so I was like, it sounds great. Let's let's go for it, right? Um, let's give it a shot. And so we jumped in the truck and moved from D.C. Uh, down to Maryville, Tennessee, in 2007, and we've been here ever since. So wow. you know, we lived in Maryville for you know uh, eight years, and then uh, moved to the big city, yeah. which, which simply means we moved 10 minutes uh, <laughs> up the road off Mississippi Parkway. So so now we're now we're officially in Knoxville wow. and uh, have been here ever since. So. Yeah, that, that's how we came to be here. I, I am what I call, and there's a diaspora of us uh, here in Knoxville, a trailing spouse. Mm, yeah. And I think that's a thing in every community. But right. as I meet more and more people in town, there's so many people that are attracted here by, you know, one of the spouses gets a job at Oak Ridge yeah. or UT yep. or TVA. One of the big know. hitters. Yeah, or Pilot. Denzo. Discovery, <laughs> Denzo, yeah, yeah. et cetera. And so then, you know, it, it brings couples yeah. And then it's like, okay, cool. What's the second person going to do? Which was the question for me. Yeah, that's my like, question. Okay, we're here. <laughs> now what? And I was always like, well, I like I like computers. I like the internet. You know, have, have internet, we'll travel. Um, you know, I'll figure something out when I get there. And so I worked on some projects and then was lucky enough to work at Maribel College for about mm. three years. 
So I did fundraising there. Um, in, in higher ed, we call that advancement. Mm. Um, but it's sales, right? It's fundraising. We're raising yeah. money for student scholarships and buildings and the endowment. And so I did that for about three years. And then with my best friend from college, we had a chance to start a software company, which is something that really we had always wanted to do together. And uh, so it took us a few years from, from after college to do it. But, what kind of company did you guys want to start? You know, we had built a lot of websites together, but we were always just captivated by the idea of, of starting a software company, like an app, right? Mm. You know, building something that other people would use. Um, and so he had the idea for an app that would connect Salesforce with Gmail. And I looked at the market and said, that's really interesting. There's already a Salesforce Outlook connector, but there's nothing for Gmail yet. And Gmail's starting to trend. This was 2011. What's Salesforce? A uh, big customer relationship management platform. Okay. So it's the, you know, it's the number one in its category yeah. in, in CRM. So you can look at, you know, ticker symbol CRM. Yeah. Um, and so really it's a big Oracle database because mm -hmm. the founder worked at Oracle. And then they've made it useful for sales teams to keep track of customers. Gotcha. And so Ryan's idea was we're going to surface that customer data inside your inbox so you don't have to jump between two platforms. Right. And then we'll take all the data and sync it from the inbox into the CRM so you can keep track of it over time and analyze it. Yep. And so thankfully, you know, great idea. Uh, he's a brilliant software architect, so executed really well. And my job as, as the quote-unquote non-technical co-founder, I know my way around the internet and I can build some stuff, but Ryan was the real coding genius behind it. My job was to get it to market. Mm. You know, how do we find customers? How do we find sales channels, partners? How do we build out marketing funnels? Uh, how do we build a customer success team and support team here? And so we were able to start the company in Irvine, California, where Ryan is, and he built up a dev team. And I launched the sales marketing support team uh, here in Knoxville. So you guys so, never lived in the same city while you were starting it? No, we were, you know, now remote work is pretty popular. Yeah, but, it wasn't uh, then, right? <laughs> then it was a little bit earlier in what, the game. What year was it now? That was 2011. We launched 2011. the app in December of 2011. And, okay. and thankfully, you know, had read the market, you know, right and got in touch with a lot of people. And so we got a lot of early customers that were evangelists Good. for us and they helped spread the word and we started onboarding more customers. And so it was a really exciting flywheel where we got to work with you know, really thousands of companies across the country, around the world. And then as we got size and started getting more sophisticated, then we were able to onboard, you know, some bigger customers, right? Like, like yeah. the Airbnbs and LinkedIn and news corporation type customers. And that was just super fun. Wow. So, so when you're, when you're starting a company like this and you said that you said that Salesforce was already connected, there was, it was already connected to Outlook. So there's, there's this solution there that is, uh, kind of proof of concept somewhat that people want to do what you're doing with your company. Are you, are you worried while you're creating this, that somebody's going to come and do it before you get it to market? So what's funny is, uh, yes, we were always aware of that, understood that risk, but after we launched, maybe within the year after we launched, an article came out from a really well-respected entrepreneur and investor in Silicon Valley. And it was simply titled thinking about building in someone else's ecosystem. Don't <laughs> because really? of the risk that you're talking about. Gotcha. Right. You build something and then some, yeah. someone can come and eat your lunch because at the end of the day, it's, it's their sandbox yeah. and they, they, they own it. Yeah. But, but we assume that risk. We talked with both Salesforce and Google. Hey, do you guys have plans to do this? No, we don't. Mm. It's an open API. Go nuts. Yeah. And so we jumped in because there was a lot of demand right at that moment. Right. And so we were able to hit, hit that demand and ride with it and serve customers really well and build up the company. But to your point, sure enough, after you know seven years, then Salesforce starts to get in the game, and we're competing against the behemoth, really? and we have lots of other competitors. And so that also was a really interesting experience, right? How do you navigate that? Uh, that, that yeah, how, how do you navigate that? And how do you separate yourself from someone whose architecture you've kind of 
piggybacked onto a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the key for us was, you know, when you're small, then your advantage is speed mm. and and being really, really close to your customer. And so we had such strong customer relationships that we got that that really detailed feedback. This is what we really want in the app. These are the, the intricacies of the features. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to build that stuff so that the app was really sticky. So gotcha. it prevented the need to just replace it with some other commodity that yeah. did 80% of what somebody wanted. Right. They wanted to do the special workflows that that only our app could do. Yeah. Did you guys do try to do the Y Combinator or anything like that? Any kind of in- incubator? We didn't. We were the classic bootstrapped startup. That's awesome. You know, just kind of... Uh, Hustled. That was one of the kind of the keywords, you know, certainly here in the Knoxville office, because we knew we were competing against companies that had big venture capital backing. Mm. You know, one of our main competitors after the first year or two years raised like $30 million Yeah, and called us and said, we're coming for you. And really? after the call, we hung up and we we're like, uh-oh, <laughs> like one, that was kind of rude. He shouldn't have said that, that he was coming for us. <laughs> Nevertheless, he might be right. Um, so... So yeah, I mean, it got our attention and we were just like, look, we just need to focus, yeah. you know? And so that was one of the things certainly that I learned is that we spent a lot of time looking at competitors, thinking about pricing, thinking about differentiation. That wasn't wasted time, but at the end of the day, the most important thing was to focus on what our customer wanted. Yeah. And as long as we stayed, you know, laser focused on that and didn't get distracted by who raised the latest round or what's the coolest new tech on the market, yeah. those things could be distracting. And we followed a few a few rabbits, you know, to see where they would go. Yeah. And some of that was, was, was good, productive, profitable, and some of it wasn't. Yeah. But, but mainly, I think we had success by just listening to customer feedback, building what people wanted. I mean, it sounds too simple to be true, but that, that's it, where we found the success. It does. And I talked about this on, on, with my last guest. It's like the, 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 the Bezos thing, just be, you know, almost psychopathically uh, uh, obsessed with your customer. It's like, it seems, it sounds so simple, but I look around at, at some of the companies that I that that I really see uh, you know, growing, and, and some that I admire for 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 what they do and what they've been able to bring to the marketplace. And that seems to be true with all of them. Is that their number one focus is on their customer, and they back engineer everything from that. Yeah, I mean that's what, that's what we're trying to do. So I have a new app called Uncat, which yeah. is short for Uncategorized Transactions, and so it's used by accounting professionals, accountants, bookkeepers to communicate with their clients and fix those things that they, they don't know what they are until the client tells them. Mm. You know, what did you buy at Amazon? Could, mm. It could have been basically anything in the world. Yeah. Until you let me know, I can't categorize it and close your books. Yeah. And so it's an app to facilitate that communication, which sounds simple enough, it is. Mm-hmm. But the key has been talking with the professionals in the field and really understanding how does this workflow work? How do you want it to work? Yeah, the, the accountants or the uh, or, or the, the end user or the... the uh, Primarily with owner. the with the customer with the accountant and the bookkeeper. Yeah, you know how how do you communicate with your client? Yeah, it's so, email, right? Yeah, it's email and a lot of exporting of spreadsheets. Sometimes yeah. taking of screenshots, and these are yeah. these are inefficient things now. It was state of the art twenty years ago. Right. So it's, is this a situation where I use my business debit card and a notification comes up on my phone and says, "Hey, you spent." So, so it's really after that process. Okay. So it's a, you have a bunch of transactions and at the end of a week or a month, they're in QuickBooks mm-hmm. and there's 10% of them that your accountant can't figure out what they are. Right. Because it's XYZ.com for a hundred gotcha. bucks or Amazon or Home right, right. Depot. And so they need to ask you, mm-hmm. what are these? Can you please explain it? And so historically they do that by exporting a spreadsheet, shipping yeah. it to the client, client fills in the spreadsheet, ships it back. They yeah. manually copy paste line items into QuickBooks. Yeah. For us, it's all automated notifications cool. and syncing. Awesome. And so, yeah, at its core, 
it's a big time saver. Right. And you're solving a problem that, you know, no, yeah. no one has taken the time to solve yet. <laughs> right. Because it's really niche, right? People yeah. are like, well, what else are you going to do? And it's like, we're going to focus on that one problem for now. And mm. we can expand later as needed. But for now, it's, it's a big enough issue. People burn a lot of time yeah. doing this week in and week out, month yeah. in and month out. And the key for us is that, you know, Adam on our team is a bookkeeper. And we've talked with so many hundreds of others that it's really it's built by bookkeepers and accountants for bookkeepers and accountants. It's perfect. So yeah, don't don't just rely on people that know software right. to build a solution. It's got to be to your point before. It's got to be aligned with how people actually work otherwise they'll never adopt it. Yeah, and there's and there's yeah. It it has to be in context or it's not going to work it seems like. Right. <clears throat> Is this all with Cirrus? No, so my, Ryan and I exited Cirrus okay. in the fall of 2018. So the we, Cirrus is still around, right? So we sold the company. It's still here, uh, still in Knoxville. I believe it's 100% remote now, which a lot of companies did during pandemic, right? Cool. So everyone's working from home. Still has a team in California, a team here. I believe they also have a team um, now in North Carolina as a result of a subsequent acquisition. Okay. Um, so Cirrus was the first company that we were talking about. Yep. That you guys started in 2012, you said? Yep. Okay, cool. So six years. Yes, yeah, so since I about yeah almost seven years. We launched in December of 2011, sold mm. in September of 2018. Okay, were there any in those six years? Were there any big products that came out of Cirrus other than the flagship uh, Salesforce to Gmail? That's a great Do question. I mean, that's we really hang our hung our hat on that. We added a Salesforce Outlook integration, even though there had okay. been one already yeah. for a decade. We had some things that were special about how we did it, so we mm. were able to offer that to Outlook customers. Um, We added a whole bunch of things, but I will say one of the coolest things that we added was a feature that probably a lot of listeners are familiar with now because they see it every day, but the ability to share your calendar and let people book directly on it. Mm. And that was something we acquired a small company in San Francisco and incorporated their technology into our app. And so then by email, you could actually put your available times inside of an email. Mm. And someone could click the link in the email and it would automatically book an appointment. Perfect. So for sales teams, it's a boon because it skips all the, would you like to see a demo? Yes, I would like to see a demo. When are you available? Mm. Uh, Tuesday, Thursday. Oh my gosh. Are you on Pacific time? Never mind. Let me resend the times. <laughs> right. And pretty Like you go back and forth like a dozen times yeah. and pretty soon the prospect is like worn out and they're thinking, maybe I don't actually even want a demo. Right. Whereas if they can just click a link and self book it, mm-hmm. I mean, so much better. You sound like an efficient efficiency engine to me. Like you're just always seeking out <laughs> efficiencies to solve. I like opera- inefficiencies. I, yeah, to solve. I like operational stuff. And and what's funny is that I'm I'm a critic of things if I notice if it's not if it's not working right. Mm. Like I, I've never even I'm as a kid. Way. I don't like lines. Like I think li- like any sort of queuing up of people mm. in a line. Yeah. I'm sort of like, well, if the line exists, yeah. then something didn't go right. Yeah. Like, shouldn't we all be able to do yeah. the thing that you're, we're wanting to do? You're a zipper merger, so. aren't you? <laughs> On the interstate. I can tell. I am too. Big zipper merge guy. I don't like to just hop in line. If you cars. aren't, then you're not going to be able to drive well in LA, right? <laughs> oh, man. It's like, you got to be able to get. Yes. I mean, uh, yeah. For you the, take it as far as you can. Yeah. For <laughs> people who haven't driven to LA, it's like, you know, if you're going 80, you better be in the slow lane because someone's going to come over the top. Yes, you know, exactly. You got to be 90 to 100 to be in the fast lane. And if LA. you want that spot, you better take it because yeah, if not, gotta, somebody else yeah, is going to. You got to get in there. Any any yeah. big city driving. But yeah. but yeah, you know, yeah, uh, you know, lines and stuff, inefficiencies and in workflows uh, tend to get me. So I'm, I, I try to think of ways where I might get involved or try to improve it. And 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 behavior is fascinating to me. So mm. to give an example, one time we were as a family we were flying out of LAX, and we got there for the flight and we were plenty early, hour and a half early, 
But then we saw there was a line out the door, mm -hmm. not just out the door, but it was like down the street of the terminal, probably yeah. for like a half mile. Yeah. And we're like, oh no, there's no way we're going to make the flight. Like a thousand people lined right. up outside. And so just by nature, I was like, all right, we'll hold our spot here. I'm going to go inside and check it out and see what the problem is. Right. Right. Like I'm going to solve the airport problem. Right. Well, it turns out there wasn't a problem at all. So because we're herd animals, a group of people had gathered in the terminal and the next group of people assumed that they was were in line. the line. Yeah. And so everyone queued up in a line yeah. and no one could see the front of the line. Yeah. So they assumed, so it was never going to move. Mm -hmm. And so I waved my family. I'm like, let's go. Let's go. And they're let's like, actually, let's get they're like this line. isn't right. It feels like we're cutting a line. I was like, except the line doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, so we had our flight just fine. Yeah. But I felt bad. You know, I've tried to let people in the line know, but of course they didn't believe me. Sure. Like, we're not right. going to lose our spot. He just wants our spot. Yeah, we're not going to lose our spot. Um, so what is it about sort of lines? Stuff. People love standing in them. People will find a, find a line and go stand in it, I feel like. I think it can be comforting, uh, strangely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we learned this a little bit trying out marketing experiments about friction about in a sign-up process. And so our operating thesis was we want to make it as easy and low friction to no friction as possible to sign up for our app. Mm -hmm. So if we can allow people to do it in three clicks instead of five, three is better. If mm -hmm. we can let them do it without entering even their email by doing some sort of open authentication with a service, we'll do that. Mm -hmm. If we can let them download it without even authenticating with anything, we'll do that. Mm -hmm. And so we did that for a long time and it worked overall, it worked great. But then we started running some experiments too, where we said, well, let's put a form in front of it just so we can find out who the people are in case something fails in the process, at least we can follow up with them. Right. Because otherwise they're invisible to us. So we started putting a form in front of it. And in some cases, the conversion rate went up. And we were hmm. very surprised by that. Yeah. We're like, we just added a bunch of friction and people are doing it. And I chalk, I, I haven't read a lot of literature on it. I chalked it up at least to the fact like people saw the form and their instinct was, well, I'm gonna fill this out. I know the answers to these questions. Right. Right. What's my name? Oh, I know this one. Mm -hmm. And what's my email? And so you get in this like kind of yes pattern where it's like a little dopamine head every time. It's like, oh, my phone number. I know that yeah. one and type it in my company mm -hmm. name. And so they were filling this stuff out and submitting it. And then they would proceed to the next page. So, so that was a learning for us because it was like the purposeful introduction of friction, which we had avoided at all costs. Mm. And then it turned out some people really gravitate to it. Interesting. That's really interesting. I got a, um, I got a, like a survey in the mail the other day from Trout Unlimited and I started filling it out and I was like, oh, that's great that, you know, you go through the whole thing front and back, flip it over, you get down to the bottom and it's like, where would you like to mail your $24 check? You know, it was the last question. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You've already got $24 in time invested exactly. in our survey. What did I do, you think? <laughs> right. Time to write that check. Exactly. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I loved... You know, and my dad was a psych major in college, but I liked the little psychology things mm. that, that we tried to figure out on the way. Because I found it, it was just fascinating trying to understand human behavior. So, for example, one of our uh, team started and he didn't start in sales, but we had him do some sales development. And we noticed in the reports he was booking uh, three times more demos than everybody else on the team. So well, we're going to learn from what he's doing and then we'll replicate it mm. across the team. So we asked him. What are you doing? And it turned out he's doing a few things. He led with, he's like, well, one, I'm calling all the companies in the system that don't have phone numbers, which I love that because it's very zen, right? <laughs> What's the sound of one hand climb? I'm yeah. calling the people without yeah. phone numbers. But what he had decided was, well, any company listed that doesn't have a phone number, we've never touched. And so I'm just going to go to the, their website, look up their phone number and call them. And they've never heard of us before. So it's like, it's Greenfield yeah. and I can get all those leads. So that was one, you know, really smart thing that he was doing. Another thing he did though, 
which will sound a little almost like trickery-ish, but I think the psychology behind it is really interesting. So he said, I always use the same script on the call, no matter what the receiving end of the call, what they say. Mm. And we're like, that doesn't sound awesome. You're supposed to be responsive to the customer having right. a conversation. And we said, why don't we run a couple of role-playing examples? I said, Fine. So he says, so, uh, you know, I call the customer and they pick up and I say, hey, well, you know, at the end of the call, would you like to see a demo of Sears Insight? And they say, yes. And he says, great. How about Wednesday at 10 o'clock? Hopefully that time works. Otherwise they move the time, they book it, calls over. I was like, okay, I totally get that one. Run it back the other way. So he's like, okay, I call and I say, would you like a demo? And they say, no. And he says, so I just say, great. How about Wednesday at 10 o'clock? <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? Like, how's this? How's, and I said, so they actually agree. They book it Wednesday at 10. He's like, oh yeah. Every time. <laughs> Yeah, maybe not every time, but a lot of the time, right? So his numbers were sky high. And I was like, hold on, but are they actually coming to the demo? Do they actually show up? And he's like, yeah, at the same rate that everybody else shows up. So I was like, this is really interesting. And so what we ended up doing is looking at it and, and essentially deciding, I don't know if we were right or wrong, but we essentially decided that that people would knee jerk say that they didn't want a demo. Just like, you know, do you have time for a demo? And they'd say no. But if you got specific, like, mm. do you have Wednesday at 10? For some reason, they felt compelled to check their calendar. Yeah. And if, in fact, there was an available space, they didn't want to lie about it. So they would say yes. And they'd commit awesome. to it. And so I analogized it to when I had a truck in college and people would ask me to help them move. Mm -hmm. Hey, you've got a truck. Uh, can you come help me move? And I helped a lot of people move. But sometimes <laughs> it was like, I got something else I want to do. Yeah. And so, but if I said, no, nah, I'm, I'm really busy that day, the weekend, they might say, well, what if we start early? What about Saturday at 6 a.m.? Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, now I don't really have an excuse. Do I like, what else am I doing yeah. at 6 a.m. on a Saturday? So yeah. I'd have to say yes. Yeah, it makes, yeah. makes perfect sense. So anyway, those little fun, like little psych things, I still enjoy thinking about them because I thought, I mean, for one thing, it was just amazing to see what different people on the team invented right. uh, yeah. to succeed. That feels a lot like startup culture to me. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. How, how hard how important a is is the startup culture and um and how do you maintain it as you build a company that i'm sure it sounds like sears grew quite a bit yeah i mean we started it was just it was just me and ryan at our peak i think we had you know 72 folks on the team um wow. so it grew quite a bit uh, you know for us it was always we, we definitely part of the culture was working hard mm -hmm. um i mean we, we like to work and that's a good thing that was one of my favorite job interviews is when a candidate came in and we always ask him, you know, why, why do you want to work at Sears Insight? What do you think you can contribute to the team? And they simply answered, well, I love to work. And I thought that's the best answer I've ever heard in any interview. Cause I was like, well, you love to work and we're doing work here. Mm -hmm. So it's a perfect fit. Yeah. Like it so sounds like a great match. Um, but we knew we needed to hustle because we knew the environment was extremely competitive. And we also knew we're, we're selling software to salespeople and salespeople <laughs> are competitive. So like, you know, we adopted the culture of sales and, gotcha. and so that was a really important part of our company. So, you know, we worked very hard, but we also had, I will say, just a tremendous amount of fun. So we're the classic foosball table in the office, ping pong table in the office. Yeah. It was very loud because people are on the phone people are walking around, they're meeting with customers, they're tapping out emails. We had a gong in the office that you could hit when a sale came through. Yeah. Um, we had company lunches every Friday which were super fun. And we ran those really internally for the first couple of years. And then after that, I was inspired after having gone um, to a Clayton Bank board meeting. 
where、mm-hmm. they invited guests to come and join them for the lunch before they retreated and had the board meeting. And it was just a really cool experience. That's a cool idea. One of the coolest things about the experience was at the end of lunch. So I was one of the guests. There were fifty guests in the room,、mm. and, and then Mr. Clayton stood up and said, "We'd like to thank you all for joining us.、Um, if there is a charity that you feel especially strongly about, that you support, that you really believe in, that does great work, I want you to write down the name of the charity on this index card, and everyone's getting an index card passed around to them." So great. So I wrote one down. Everyone wrote one down, and they gathered up all the index cards. And he says, "We're going to make a five hundred dollar donation to each charity." No way! And I said, "Wow, that was an awesome way in five minutes to give away twenty-five thousand、yeah. dollars. Like what an act of generosity! Plus, it was just such a cool experience. I mean, this was probably seven, eight years ago, and we're talking about it now. So it was based on that. And I was like, well, we can't, as most companies can't. Like we can't swing that. Right. But we can invite people to our company lunch. So we opened、mm-hmm. up. So it became not just an employee lunch, but we invited the employees to say, extend the invite out to the community." Yeah. Invite your friends. Invite prospects. Invite you know people that you admire in the community and have them join us on a Friday. All you have to do is let us know how many people are coming, so we know how much food to get,、mm-hmm. and we'll have barbecue or Jamaican food or Cuban or fried chicken or whatever. And so over the course of time, we had hundreds of people、really? come and do lunch at Sierra Insight, and that was one of the favorite parts of the experience. And that, to your question about culture, like that helped to define it because otherwise、yeah. we're a pretty small, you know, private company. Most of our customers are outside of Knoxville. Right, twenty-five percent of our customers are, are in San Francisco. A lot of customers in the UK and Australia. A lot in New York. Not that many in our region. Right. But we got really tight into the community. And I think the other part that I would highlight that was really important to us is you know community involvement with nonprofits.、Mm-hmm. So several of our team went through the nonprofit board training that Alliance for Better Nonprofits offers. Um, we supported our employees in their charitable endeavors. So some of them had charities. Some of them were really supportive of charities. So we go do a run together.、Uh, we did the Knoxville Marathon together as a team, which was awesome. Yeah, we actually won. We won a prize that year for you know the most number of miles or something for a, for a really small company. So we celebrated、yeah. that.、Um, and then a cool thing we did in the fall of seventeen was we set a Guinness World Record.、Um, which, how'd you do that? And so, well. So Knoxville had won a number of Guinness World Records in a row. So they had the biggest power tee. You remember that one on the field? No, I didn't know about this. Yeah. So we have the biggest power tee world、okay. record, and then we have the world record for number of fans that went to a football game、mm. at Bristol Motor Speedway. Yeah, I was there. Right, it's huge. Yeah, yeah. Right, you were there, so you know how big of、yes. a crowd that was. So I was like, that was awesome. But it was one of these company lunches with a friend, and we we're like, let's do something. Maybe we could set a world record for something that's like education based, something that like helps helps kids and is interesting. What, like, what could we do? So we decided we'll do the Guinness World Record for the largest coding lesson for the number of kids <laughs> learning how to code.、Nice. And so we partnered with Knox County Schools and we did it across fifty schools and had almost ten thousand kids simultaneously take their first coding lesson. That's awesome、uh, on Scratch, a platform developed by MIT. So we recorded a video. So it was kids teaching kids. So we had kids at. Vine and Fulton and AE and HVA and North Shore and all these other schools record a video, and then we played it simultaneously on YouTube across all these classrooms in 50 schools, and all the kids followed along the lesson, and you know, super cool. Made a cat, made it meow, and made it dance, and move across the screen, and changed it purple, and did all these cool <laughs> things, and then we got it certified,、uh, you know, by Guinness. That's、and、super so, cool. Knoxville's a world record holder. Yeah, <laughs> the coolest thing was all the kids afterwards got a certificate. That's that said, awesome. You know, today at school, I helped set a world <laughs> record, and they got to take that home. And, That's super、uh, cool. So they were really proud of it. What tech is obviously a passion of yours. It sounds like it, it sounds like you're helping spread it a little bit. How are you? How important do you think it is to get our kids into tech? 
And then also, what are, what are you doing to, to help proliferate that other than throwing the world's largest yeah, right. tech coding? No, I'm definitely uh, passionate about tech. I'd say even more so just about, um, you know, like you said before, the, the startup spirit, yeah. the entrepreneurial spirit, yeah. wh- whether it's tech or, or not. I mean, yeah. everything is pretty tech infused these days. I don't know why I confuse entrepreneurship and tech so much these days, but it seems like they're just it, it's like if you don't have a tech side to it. <laughs> A lot of it crosses over, right? Yeah. I mean, it, you know, pretty much any industry that you look at as uh, any manufacturing company now is probably going to have quite a bit of back office software helping to run the show. Sure. Uh, inventory control, et cetera, et cetera. So, so tech is a big part of it. But, but yeah, I'm excited about it. You know, I volunteer in schools doing junior achievement, which teaches yeah. entrepreneurship, financial literacy, work readiness. I'm doing that this week uh, to two classes of fourth graders at North Shore. We're having an awesome time like the questions the kids have and also like how advanced they are. So you say, oh, well, fourth graders, I mean, how much can you, you know, really convey? But it's like during the class, they're talking about, oh yeah, we, we already did, you know, last summer we did a pop-up uh, nail salon in our neighborhood and it was really successful. Or, you know, we did lemonade and so we, we upgraded it. We sold, you know, we, we sold 20 bucks worth of lemonade. And I was like, well, yeah, but you didn't, you know, how much money did you make, right? What was your cost? And it's like, well, you know, parents bought the lemonade, so their cost was zero, but yeah. If we had to pay for it, it was like 12. And so I was like, okay, cool. So what, what do you call the Delta? What's our profit? We made $8 profit. And I was like, what can you do with it? Well, we could buy more lemonade, run it again, <laughs> or we could spend it, or we could save it, uh, donate it maybe to a cause, or or invest it. And so then I was like, well, if you invested it, where would you invest, right? And then, you know, oh, well, this stock and that stock. And I kid you not, one of the fourth graders raises his hand, right? We're on a Zoom call because we can't be volunteering in the school yet. We're on a Zoom call. And so, I, uh, yes, you know, what would you do with it? And he's like, and he says this, this is a quote. He says, well, I've been, I've been investing a little bit in Bitcoin. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, he's probably doing better than all of us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Depending on how long you've been investing in Bitcoin, he, yeah, he may, he may be good to go financially. Um, but anyway, it's just super cool, right? They're, they're yeah. already thinking about this stuff. They enjoy thinking about it. You know, people of any age, but talking with kids is like the innate creativity. And so really the message there is simply, hey, if you have an idea, feel free to run with it. Yeah. You know, this is a place where you can do that. You don't have to have a credential. You don't have to have any particular training. You don't have to have a given degree. Right. It's not like you know, being a lawyer, or a doctor, or a accountant or something. You, you've got to have that in order to do the job. Yes. Being an entrepreneur, uh, you can simply just say you are one. Yeah. And then and then you are and you give it your best shot. Mm hmm. Gary V has made a living off of making entrepreneurship cool. Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and he is. He's a cool guy. I mean, yeah. he, he owns that role. Yeah, he does. Um, what do you think of the NFT space? I think it's interesting. I don't. I don't. I don't quite get it yet. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think I understand it conceptually, mm-hmm. right? So you create you create scarcity. Yep. And so, you know, people are drawn to scarcity because they think, well, you have fear of missing out, or mm-hmm. maybe I get the only thing or the only few copies of it. At the same time, I am confused about why someone would want to buy the NFT of Jack Dorsey's first tweet. Right. Like, I can see the tweet. You can see the tweet. Yep. I can retweet it if I want. I can take a screenshot of it. Now mm-hmm. someone knows the NFT of it, but for what? To what For end? What purpose? Yeah, I don't really know. Yeah, um, but at the same time, it, it does make me think of just like you know fine art, where it's like, well, I can, I can print off a replica of a Monet off Wikipedia. Exactly, I can look at yeah. it all day if I want to. Go buy a Mona Lisa postcard. Yeah, but the, I don't. The replicas are yeah. really nice yeah. to the point that most average viewer like me probably can't tell the difference. And yet, right. the value of the original is so much different. 
than the value of any of the replicas. And yeah. so, you know, people are buying a feeling and exclusivity, mm. right? Yeah. And those are the things that get really intangible where you go, well, how much is that feeling worth? And then it's like, maybe it's worth as much as these NFTs are selling for. Yeah, I mean, I can see how the, the gap between um, being an art collector and just, just being able to have that hanging on your wall and, and then being able to own a super rare, you know, non-fungible token. Like somehow it feels, it doesn't feel like, a, you know, a bridge too far for me to get those things, you know, in adjacent spaces. It feels like it could appeal to the same right. piece of the psyche. I, yeah, for me, I find it more... Yeah, psychologically or philosophically interesting. Yeah. Then, then I feel like, oh boy, this is exciting, and I want to get involved. Yeah. Like, like when I first read about NFTs, I was like, this is interesting. I don't see myself selling them. I definitely don't see myself buying them. Right. Um, I'd rather buy a bicycle. Yeah, something you can something see, I touch. can use, and I love biking, so I yeah. do that all day. That seems like it seems like the blockchain ultimately will have lots of utility um, in the future for all kinds of things, not just. You know, n not just cryptocurrencies and, and and NFTs and things like that, but medical records and you know, even voting systems. It seems like it could it it could work. And I don't know. I, I think we're in a really interesting in a really interesting era right now. Yeah, certainly. I mean, to your point, like I mean, cryptocurrencies have taken off over the last 12, 24 months. I mean, they're going yeah. nuts. Yeah. So then it's like, well, what's going to happen with those? Either it's at a top or mm -hmm. we're barely seeing the beginning and all of us should be jumping in yeah. um, or it'll blow up like Warren Buffett predicted long ago. And, you know, he's pretty smart, but he's not always right. Yeah. And um, so who knows what will happen with those? But I, but to your point, the underlying technology can be used anywhere. I mean, so far cryptocurrency has been the big win for it. Right. Um, but there's other novel uses, including just tracking of ownership. I think there's some really novel uses mm -hmm. of people, using blockchain technology for fundraising. So rather yeah. than doing complex, you know, series A, series B, series C, right. like, oh, let's use the blockchain for it. We'll allocate a certain percentage and then let supply and demand take over for that set block of equity in a company. And I'm like, that's a really, it's a really interesting model for allowing a large number of people to participate. So it's all, it, you almost get into kind of crowdfunding, mm -hmm. but at the same time, it's all very trackable and it is actual equity. It's not a donation and it's not an exchange for a product. Right. That makes good sense. And to think, to think that it just all exists and is something you can't touch is the part that, that freaks people out a little bit and breaks their brain pretty quickly when you realize that scarcity is what makes Bitcoin, <laughs> you know? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's fascinating Valuable. as an asset class. I mean, some, some of those aspects are not different for most of us, at least from like, you know, stocks or bonds, like almost none of us now will have a stock certificate. Right. They tend not to send those out anymore. Yeah. They're all held for you yeah. by a brokerage somewhere in theory, but most of them are electronic now anyway. Yeah. So those are things you can't really touch. And sure. it's all I just, guess that's true. It's all just based on math, right? Yeah. What percentage of this company do I own and how much do I and others think it's worth? You know, so supply and demand takes over. But it is fascinating to know that, yeah, this has been created as this asset class, this store of value well within our lifetimes and that there's a certain number of Bitcoin out there. And if you want something, it's going to cost you right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you sit on a few boards, don't you? A few. Uh, uh, yeah, quite a few. Yeah. <laughs> I've got some written down. One of them's KEC, right? Yep. Knoxville Entrepreneur Center. Yeah. Yep. That's, I think that's an important, uh, important thing we've got going on here. And I appreciate 
I love everything it. that KEC does. Yeah, well, I'm excited about it. Uh, I always have been. So KEC was my first touch point to you know entrepreneurship in Knoxville. So I was running a company in Maryville. We were starting to grow. Um, I wanted some leads on some some talent, right? How do mm. I meet more people that yeah. might want to join the company? And also I want to connect with with Knoxville as a community. And so, you know, reaching out to Jim Biggs and Johnson Sexton at KEC was the first step. Awesome. And that's how I got connected. And we were able to make some really key hires as a result of introductions they made. And so, and, and also just connect with a tremendous number of people. I mean, right. I always tell people like the number one thing that the KEC does and can do for you as an entrepreneur or an interested party in Knoxville is connect you with anybody. Right. So you want to come in like I could really use an accountant, an attorney, a developer, uh, like to connect with a marketing agency, wondering about creating a go to market plan, would also like to go through an accelerator. It's like, cool. KEC can do all of that and connect you with a mentor, right? That kind of help like an executive and resident sort of right. relationship to kind of shepherd you through the process of building your company. And so, yeah, it does a tremendous amount in terms of those direct introductions, runs some great programming and is doing some really innovative novel things like a program that we talked about before and that I'm really passionate about is 100 Knoxville. And so, you know, we're working really closely to help uh, black owners, black business owners to scale their companies. Right. And that's a program patterned after the 800 initiative in Memphis. And so we've kind of scaled it and right-sized it for Knoxville. Mm -hmm. And we kicked that off earlier this year. We just had our first cohort of five companies go through. So five companies, $5,000 each, five-week sprint. Uh, two of those companies during the five weeks hired their first employees. It's awesome. Like huge win. Yes. Oh, that was one of the key metrics that Memphis talked about. Uh, several had meetings with people in the community that they said, this is going to be the story of my company before that meeting and the story of my company after that meeting, mm. right? We've all had that experience where yeah. you make that, that one connection and it opens doors you didn't know existed. Right. And so that's really exciting to see. So we're getting, there's more backing coming for that program. Great. We're going to be able to run some additional cohorts this year. And, and KEC the fiduciary for that program and is going to be able to help us, you know, scale it up. So I'm excited about it. That's excellent. I think um, sometimes... Sometimes, you know, great ideas, I guess that's why they call them incubators. They just need a place to believe in them. They need a, they need a place to support them. And and like you said with KEC, even the, you know, KEC's superpower might, uh, if we're going to use the Malcolm Gladwell superpower kind of deal, it's the connector, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you, you want places, I, mean, I always like to say every club needs a clubhouse. And mm -hmm. so if you're into this sort of thing, right, yeah. if you like projects, they don't have to be tech startups, they don't have to be startups, they could be a project be a nonprofit, could be a social enterprise, could be a festival, could be an event. If you're a person that likes to build stuff, create stuff, then this is a place that facilitates creative collisions. You know, the, the best case scenario is that you're just colliding with other people yeah. that are similarly creative and passionate and maybe have skills and talents that you don't have. So they fill in some of the gaps and then you can get your product or service or idea to market. And so, yeah, I love working with a KEC. I sit on the board of University of Tennessee Research Park, which is doing awesome work and has a bunch of buildings that you'll see coming up pretty soon. So not too far from here, south of Scruffy, right? I'll be right across the street from UT Medical Center. Awesome. Some really exciting stuff happening there. We talked about junior achievement already. I'm passionate about what, ed education and kids. So Muse Knoxville. What about the Muse, right? man? I the love Children's the Muse Museum. so much. I love it. And it's been, so I'll make the obvious point of pandemic has been really hard for cultural institutions. Yes. Right? Really hard for you know, uh, buildings where people gather. Yes. That was not popular during pandemic. So right. Muse was closed for the better part of seven months. Is it open again? And it's open again. And I'll say, A, excited to be open again, mm -hmm. serving the community, meeting the mission. But even while it was closed, you know, Ellie, Ellie Kittrell, the executive director there, you know, super powered entrepreneur, 
Like she's always thinking out of the box, how do we serve kids and their families? And so pandemic happened and the Muse pivoted and we started putting together what we call amusement kits. And we got sponsors and grants for it. And we started shipping these amusement kits to kids, you know, throughout uh, Knox County and the surrounding region. So they had some really cool STEM activities to do at home. That's excellent. And so people could buy them and then and, and some couldn't afford them. And so we got grants and we ship out uh, thousands of those kits across Knoxville, um, which is just really neat. So it's kind of like Muse coming to you. It's excellent. Muse, <clears throat> we've, um, I had my daughter's birthday party there. I mean, it's, and, you know, we have season season passes to go there because it's not somewhere you can just go once and have a good time. The kids learn something new every single time. And um, it also serves that get the wiggles out. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, you get to go hang out and play in the space shuttle. They got a planetarium. Yes. You get to see a movie. They got the outdoor spaces where you yeah. can, you know, swing tires and learn about fulcrums and momentum. Yes. And, you know, all that stuff. And yes. so, yeah, it's just fun. Well, you know, I mean, it's fun as a parent to then ask your kids, like, how come we're able to lift this one easily mm -hmm. and this other one is lighter, but it was harder? What's up with that? It's an opportunity to teach about leverage. Right. And then they're staring at it and then like, well, wait a second. The rope is longer on the one and shorter on the other. So it has something to do with that. And it's like, all right, let's unpack that. Yeah. You know, because once you get that in your head, it's like, oh, now I see how lots of stuff in the world works. Isn't there something uh, uh, with the, the aha moment or something like that in the in Yeah, the, in the I, I've, got the, yeah I've got a bumper sticker on the car, right? It's yeah. like uh, you know, powering aha moments. Yes. And that's what the Muse is all about. Like, yes. oh. Yeah. Uh, a lot I of people don't know about the one at Westtown. Is it still there? It's not there. So it's that was there. one of the, to... the casualties of the pandemic because yeah. the mall was closed yeah. for so long that it wasn't sustainable for us to keep that location open. Gotcha. So we're... You know, we're all focused on the main Muse location, Chill yeah. Howie Park next to the zoo. Yep. And then doing the amusement kits and hopefully, well, in the next school year, I feel pretty confident we'll be able to go back in the schools yeah. because this whole year, right, in Knox County schools and, and many other school systems, you couldn't have outside volunteers go into schools. And right. that's one of the big things Muse does. I mean, we'll serve, you know, 50 to 100,000 kids a year mm. by going into schools. And this past year, we couldn't do that. So we're eager to get back to it. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm wondering what the what the get back to it looks like um, for our kids, and I've got a five year old right now, so I wonder. Yeah. You know, this last year has been big for her. You know, teachers and masks, temperature taken on the way way into school. You know, I'm I, I'm interested to see what uh, what elementary school and in, in these in these learning institutions kind of become post pandemic. The kids are gonna have some some stories, right? Like everyone always jokes about, well, I have to walk you know uphill both ways in the snow to school, but our kids will actually all be able to say like. No, for real. Like when I went to school, I'd wear a mask all day. Yeah. Exactly. And I had my temperature checked. I wasn't allowed to sit next to my friends. Yeah. And when we went to lunch, we couldn't mingle with the other classes. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's different. That's weird. Right. What a weird experience. Yeah, it, it is. And and I'm hoping I'm hoping that it doesn't uh, there's no adverse effects to their psyche over over some of this stuff. Or I'm sure there will be some kind of social kind of uh, impact that this. It'll, you know, that this yeah, happens. it'll cause some some changes. That said, I mean, in my experience, at least watching watching kids, watching my kids, watching kids in the school system deal with like they're so resilient. Yeah. They're so adaptable. Back. Yeah. So, yeah, compared to us adults, which have gotten used to routines. <laughs> yeah. And we're like. This is messing up my routine. I, yep. I like being able to go to a restaurant once in a while. I like having friends over to the house. Now I can't do all the things I want to do. And the kids were sort of like bummed for a little bit. And then it was like, all right, this is what I have to do now. Yeah, so, I think it's true. I think the adults are going to be be the ones that have trouble bouncing right. back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, honestly, for the kids, a mask, right? It's just like an accessory. It's like grabbing your hat on the way out on a cold yeah. day. 
Yeah. They just grab it and they wear it and they don't complain about it. It's just normal. Yeah. Yeah. So so it'll be it'll probably be weird for them when they don't have to wear it anymore. <laughs> Phone keys, wallet, mask. Right. Then, yeah. yeah. Check, check, check. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Check every pocket. Uh, mask in the back pocket. Okay. Got it. Yeah. What else we got? What we what we miss? I'm I'm again. I'm just. It's like we could, we could talk about each one of your. Well, I know one of the things uh, that we were talking about before we started was because I was hanging out with Chris McAdoo earlier, and so uh, made for Knoxville. Yeah. Huge campaign the Knoxville Entrepreneur Center is working on. If you go to Made for Knoxville right now, you'll see a form and like a couple stories. May 18th, like a couple weeks from now, that site's going to blow up. I mean, you're going to see hundreds of stories. So you know, obviously the podcast is all about telling and sharing stories. Yeah. That website's going to be all about that. So if you're into hearing about what entrepreneurs are doing in Knoxville, some really cool startups and small businesses, that's going to be a place to go because they're going to have stories from from makers, right? Knoxville is the maker city to tech startups, to folks that have been in the game for a long time, to some folks that's just brand new idea stage. And um Obviously, I'm excited to see its site go live because they've been working on it for months. So yeah, it's, it's going to be cool. They've been quietly putting this stuff out there. It seems like a little, there's been some breadcrumbs here. Well, it's and there. on the podcast now, so it's not quiet anymore. It's, yeah, it's getting it's out. It's not, yeah. yeah May the 18th. So, yeah. so excited about that. Um, gosh, what else is happening? It just seems like, uh, you know, spring's in the air. People are coming out. Um, Feels when, good. When you go downtown, people are walking around. You know, so many people have gotten vaccinated now. There's a lot more movement. I expect some events, especially outdoors, but increasingly going indoors to come back before too long. So I think there's just a lot of excitement in the community uh, to get back and do more community things. And so, so yeah, I mean, we talked about, you know, passion for tech and startups, but the majority of my work history and, and, and my childhood growing up, because uh, my mom ran a lot of nonprofits, is really nonprofit and education oriented. And so that's why I'm excited about so many of the things that we just talked about, whether it's, you know, Muse or Junior Achievement or cool projects happening at Knox Education Foundation or the Enox Task Force, where we created a fund to, you know, subsidize Internet for families that couldn't afford it during the pandemic, which is so important. You know, if you take a Chromebook home Absolutely. and you don't have Internet, yeah, then Chromebook useless. is a paperweight. Right? Yes. I mean, you can only do a few things offline on right. one of those. It's a client terminal. So so that was a great program. Excited to work with the Knoxville Chamber on that one. Um so, yeah, I just think there's innumerable cool things happening. And I think that's one of the neat things about Knoxville is it's a it's a big, small city in a small, big city. It's big enough where yeah. there's always more happening than any of us can possibly know about. And it's small enough that through a few conversations, we can find out. Right. And then, yes. and then get involved like really fast. It's perfectly sized there you for go. that for that. That'll be the new tagline. Knoxville. Perfectly sized. Well, so. So let's say that I that I wanted to let's say that I felt like I wasn't giving enough, whether it's money or my or let's say my time. If you if you were going to give me ten hours to to volunteer somewhere, um, what would you what would you recommend? I'm sure you've got a bunch. That's of a great question because because time is all of our most valuable resource, right? If mm -hmm. you said, hey, I've got I've got a hundred bucks, I want to donate, I'd be mm -hmm. like, that's fantastic, right? Super generous. Here's a number of great charities that would benefit from that. But time, especially, I mean, 10 hours of time, that's a lot of time, mm -hmm. right? How do you want to put that to work? Who do you want to hang out with? You know, who do you want to help? There's so many exciting projects. It, you know, if I'm jumping, if I'm picking a few off the top of my list, I would say absolutely volunteer with Junior Achievement because I do it every year and I love it. Okay. Like, it's just awesome to see the light bulb come on where it's like, well, let's talk about a credit card. How do those work? Mm -hmm. You know, with maybe second graders or third yeah. graders and hear about what they think. Yeah. They see their parents using them. 
tapping it, scanning the phone, this sure. and that. But it's like, what's their understanding level? And then unpacking exactly how it works. And they're so into it because they've watched it happen, but they know they don't have one. And they know it's coming. They know there's going to be a time where they have the ability to make payments. And so they really want to learn. They're really curious about it. So I, I love doing that. Um, you know, being a mentor with a program with other entrepreneurs, you know, for someone mm. like you that has that energy that likes startups and likes to be part of that stuff, whether it's through Knoxville Entrepreneur Center, certainly 100 Knoxville. So it's like, you know, get involved and talk to some of these business owners and be like, hey, uh, one way you can reach an audience is a podcast. You know, do you all know how to do that? How would you set it up? Right. How would you market it? How would you stream it out to right. the various services? You know how to do that. They may not know how to do that. So that sure. knowledge transfer, that experience, yeah. um, you know, I, I think is super cool. And, you know, now I've just given you ways to do like 25 or 30 hours. So I just, I just, I just overbooked you. I love it. <laughs> and that's just two things, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's, there's so many ways to get involved that's that's part of the fun i think yeah well it sounds like you don't waste a moment a minute of your time it sounds like you give back a lot and i know the community appreciates it because of what i hear and um i, I want to thank you for for everything you, you do for for our town to make it better because oh, thanks. it's, well, it's thanks very meaningful for, thanks for saying that i you know i sincerely appreciate it and i also i also tell folks and i was telling some folks uh, this morning that you know there's kind of a concept of of giving back and I think it's a great concept. Like there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. And I think it's inspirational. At the same time, like I like to think of it, it's not giving back. It's just doing it because you want to. Yeah. It's not necessarily through a sense of responsibility mm -hmm. or obligation. Right. It's out of a sense of joy. Yes. Like it's just, I mean, I'm not going in the classroom because it's like, well, someone came into my classroom when I was a kid. Right. And so therefore I feel like I should really go back in now mm -hmm. that I'm an adult. Like I like to go in because I think it's fun. I think it's fun to hang out with the kids and hear their ideas. Yes. And afterwards, I've got more energy than when I started. And I'm like, wow, those kids had amazing ideas. And I can't wait till tomorrow and hear what they have to say then. Yes. Um, and that's so anyway, that's just like a mental framework that that I've seen over time in, in myself and others. That's like it, it's just more fun to go do stuff because you want to without having a reason. Yeah. And and I think I think sometimes it takes a time or two of, of doing it before you realize what's so what's so great about it 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 because it's some you know giving someone something whether it's your time or uh, a service or whatever it is mentorship it does it does as much for me as it does as i'm sure it does for them it does a lot for me and and i do it because i want to help um anytime i can give my time to to somebody and get nothing in return and it makes me feel great it makes me feel like i am uh like i am writing some uh some imp, some uh, effort imbalance that I've that I've gotten my entire life. Like I'm giving right. back a little bit, <laughs> and that's the old adage too, right? Like when you give, you always get more back than you've given, and it's like that's awesome too. But at the yeah. same time, even if you didn't get anything back, you just do it for the joy of doing it. Yeah, and it's exactly. the same. Like I mentioned earlier, I love riding my bicycle, and early on, one of my friends, my co-founder, actually was really just kind of puzzled by the whole thing. Like, well, where are you going? It's a mode of transportation. Yeah. Are you going to pick something up and then you're going to bring it back? Mm -hmm. And if so, you can take a car and probably do it a lot faster. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm not going to get anything. I'm going to go ride in a big loop. And so I'm going to end where I started, except it's going to be later when I get back. Yeah. And that's it, right? And it doesn't cost me much. It costs me some water and a water bottle and a cliff bar. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to love every minute of it. It's going to be a great workout. The endorphins are going to be pumping. It's just going to be fun. Like, well, why do you do that? And I was like, uh, it's an an it's a question I don't have an answer to because I feel like it, <laughs> you know, because I love it. Yeah. It makes me feel good. I'm drawn to it. 
Um, and that's really reason enough to, you know, get involved in the community in any way. It certainly doesn't have to be in, in startup land. You know, it can be um, tutoring kids or it could be delivering meals or it could be you know, sharing your art with the world. We've all got something to give. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's no question, right? I mean, everyone listening should be like, oh, I've got about, you know, 100 million things I could give. And it's yeah. like, cool, let's do it. Yeah, choose a few yeah. and see if you like it. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here, Brandon. It's a pleasure to meet Absolutely. you. Absolutely. I'm thrilled yeah. to be in the barn. Yeah. Like you exactly. said, this is where it all happens. You've got yeah. all these phenomenal guests. I love listening to the show. Well, good, man. And, um, you know, it is, it's all about, it's all about storytelling, right? Yeah, like just I think so. learning the history of Knoxville, learning what's happening now, hearing what cool things people are doing participating in those things. Oh, so-and-so open a restaurant. Let's go eat there. Yeah. Oh, they're doing a festival. Let's go take advantage of that. So, so yeah, it, it, to me, it's all about, it's all about the story. And so I appreciate you capturing the stories of Knoxville. You got a big library now. I'm getting there, man. One it's, a week for the last 71, 72 weeks. <laughs> who's counting, right? <laughs> but who's counting? <laughs> no, that's awesome. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Now, congratulations. I, I you. hope you, I hope you keep enjoying it and keep doing it. I love it, man. And, and it's, you know, it's it's this. You just experience it. It's this that 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 makes it that that is the reason that I do it. Um, and some somewhat somewhat because I'm I'm curious. I certainly am. Um, <clears throat> but but I also I, I want it to be a repository of 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 places where you can go learn about the people who are doing the coolest of the cool around here and building us, build, building building our our town, build, building our community, building our culture. And what their stories are, and 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 the stories that you won't get, um, you know, by by a Wikipedia page or a Google search. Well, that's so. a good. I mean, that's probably a good place to close because I love Seth Godin. I yeah, read, I read his stuff every morning. He's yeah. in my inbox at six o'clock every morning. Yeah, and the way he defines culture is, you know, people like us do things like this. Yeah, and I think about that all the time. So that's the message that you know we share in schools. Like, hey, if you have an idea, you can pursue it because. Mm. People like us, people like you all, fourth graders, you do things like this. Yeah. You don't have to think about whether or how or whatever. You just right. you just do it. You just yeah. embrace it. And people like us in Knoxville share stories. Yep. And people like us have soccer games that we get to go to yeah. and cool stadiums and other cultural amenities. And so, yeah, I think we've just got a really neat culture in this town. And I'm, I'm you know thrilled to be part of it and eager to see what happens next. I mean, just in the time that I've been here, I mean... Dozens of awesome restaurants have started mm -hmm. up in Knoxville. Yeah, and you know, amazing theaters. Like all the stuff keeps keeps impressing. Urban wilderness. Yes, right. Hasn't it, been here that long. It's one of the coolest things that we have. So, what will come in the next year, five years, ten years? Who knows? It's this. It's this. The the cultural fabric that we have feels like the thing that, that continues to push this this thing forward, and it feels right. Feels yeah. like we every new step we make is is right. And speaking of cultural fabric, one of the projects I'm going to be working on, uh, hopefully some this year and going into the next year, is and, and this may be news to some listeners. Knoxville at a time was known as the underwear capital of the world. The underwear capital of the world. Yeah, this is news to a lot of folks, but you can Google it and you'll find the old pictures. We were known as the underwear capital of the world. Not the Marble City. Not, not the yeah. underwear. Not, not Maker City. Not Marble <laughs> City. That's all new stuff. Not Scruffy City. Even <laughs> the underwear capital of the world, and it goes back decades. And it's principally because of the standard knitting mill. Mm. They were cranking out so much hosiery, so many undershirts, underwear, socks, etc. At such volume, people said, "Wow, Knoxville is actually the capital for this." 
And not to mention the fact we have the big Levi's plant on Cherry Street and up yes. in Oneida, they're knocking out, you know, dockers and so forth. And so when I learned that, I was like, this is amazing. And there's this opportunity, right, to renovate the standard knitting mill. And so I was like, cool, as part of that project, I really want to bring a museum of underwear to that property. And so if people go museumofunderwear.org, you'll see my slide deck and my little pitch for it. And that's going to be a project uh, that I'm working on. And I think it's going to be just a super fun, like, you know, Chevy Chase family vacation. Look, kids, <laughs> it's the biggest ball of twine. Yes. So, as you know, for us residents, I think it would just be fun. Like everyone I've ever mentioned it to ever has like smiled and laughed. And then, oh, are you serious? Awesome. But as a museum, I think it's got a, a lot of promise because you got the history of the textiles. It's wrapped in the history of Knoxville as the underwear capital of the world. Underwear is fashion. Underwear as a form of protest has been used. You got superheroes yes. that are in underwear. Yes. Cartoon characters. You There's have, depth here. Yeah, you got something for the kids. You got something for fashion, you know, people and students. Yeah. And you got something that, you know, if I'm a visitor to this region and I'm driving on the interstate and checking Google Maps and it's like, well, what are we going to do? Like museum of underwear, like, all right, kids, let's go check it out. Right. It's, like, and it's 20 yards from the interstate. Exactly. Too, you know? like, let's go grab lunch and check out this crazy music. Like we're never going to be able to see another one like this. Right. We better stop. Um, the halfway point to the beach for all the Ohioans. Exactly. You Maybe know? that'll be it. It's like a museum of underwear for you all Ohioans. As you drive down, you stop here and then make your push for Florida. Yes. Um, so, yeah, so I'm excited about that one. And that's just, you know, it, it, it aligns with with the mission of the show, right? Sharing stories. And it's also just a random, fun, <laughs> startup -y idea. Museumofunderwear.org? Yeah, that's where it is. That's why I have a little website up. I love it. <laughs> Brandon, thanks again, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thrilled to be here. You got it. Well, how about that? That was not bad. That was not, that was not bad at all. Yeah, no. Brandon Bruce, right? <laughs> yes. That dude's uh, one of the most fascinating humans I've ever I've ever talked to. Thanks for making that happen. Yeah, man. No, Brandon's he. No, he's the kind of guy you're like the south of scruffy, you know, yeah. band of 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 ruffians. Like we all need to know folks like Brandon. Yeah, I feel like you that know. too. I feel like he's a good fit. But Jade also an awesome fit for the show. I feel like. Absolutely. Well, I am. Uh, I was thrilled when you were going to introduce me to her because I'm a fan of her uh, YouTube stuff that she does with HGTV and all that. And discovery. Yeah. No, HGTV discovery things have happened for her so quickly. Uh, and one of the most impressive things about her, just like Brandon, she is a doer. Uh, right. Yeah. And she is, uh, as I think you're, you, you know, you guys will listen to her, but uh, she is a boss. And she's so young, which means she has so much ahead of her and starting out like she is like, you can't help but be pretty stoked, like to see what happens next. Right. I'm, I'm team Jade all the way, yes. man. Like, I just want to sit back and watch the great things continue to happen for her because she deserves it. And she is such a hard worker and a go getter and a yes sayer, you know, I'm yep. going to try, I'm going to try it out. I'm why not? What's worse that can happen. And it's all, everything's coming up spades for her man absolutely i'm excited um well thanks for uh thanks for introducing me to her too thank you should we do it should I, we just get into it or what you got something else i think so yeah let's yeah. get into it here we go <laughs> ladies and gentlemen jade adams
Yeah. So I feel like Knox was a little bit of a brew city at this point, like a like a small one. Yeah. I feel like we're getting a lot of breweries. Do you know who Zach Roscop? Mm-mm. He owns Knox Brew Hub and Knox Brew Tours. And- I, I've seen photos of him, but I've yeah. not known him personally. But I know he did. Yeah, he just opened up the the brew hub. The brew hub. Yeah, he's like a he's like the Switzerland of the beer world. He's just <laughs> yeah, friends he's with just everybody. Neutral. Yeah, yeah, neutral. He's just like everyone bring their beer here. Yes, this is a happy, safe ground for everyone. Yeah, he's the mayor of Knoxville beer, and I yeah. think he's cool with that. I think that's so fun because like because it's not a brewery he just has everyone's stuff right like he doesn't yeah he doesn't brew, he his, doesn't own brew his own beer he's just he celebrates every, everybody else's beer that's so fun it no i like fun. that because there's been a lot how, how many have popped up in the last year um i don't know i can think of three think that have three popped up four. in the last year three or four that have popped up in the last year it's um i i was for a minute i was like i want to stop pump the brakes on Pump the brakes on more beer. That but. and coffee. Coffee's been there's been yeah. like a lot of coffee shops. Donuts too. Don't oh forgot about donuts. Donuts is also getting big too. Yeah. I was, like, um, I was like, what city are we? I was like, what is our thing? Like I was like thinking about that. I was like, because I, because um, like different cities have like I like cities that have little like nooks. And I guess we have nooks too. But like Atlanta, there's like. Every you can go down the street and you're like in Inman Park and then you're in Midtown and they have like different feels. And I was thinking. Like Knoxville has like north, south, east, and west, but they're not like little neighborhood pockets. neighborhood pockets, you know. Yeah. And so I was like, "What type of city?" I was just thinking about that the other day. I was like, "What, like, what?" Because every time I travel or even look at somewhere, I look at all the little like pockets, mm-hmm. and there's like markets and stuff. And I was like, "I wonder." It's like we don't really have that yet. And then yeah. I was like, "Well, what type of city do?" I was like, "Well, what do we have?" And then I started going down a rabbit hole of like, "Well, we have beer and coffee." I was like, maybe that's just our thing yeah. at this point. And donuts. And donuts. And donuts. We have a lot of donuts now. Have you? Uh, do you know Hamburg? Do you know where that is? I feel like it's a street. Hamburg. Right? It, it it is. Um, it's on Kingston Pike. It's kind of in. It, it's over there where like anthropology mm-hmm, and all mm-hmm. that stuff. Yeah, is. I know where you're. That's a cool little. It's like, a little, little pocket. It is, and yeah. I've always I've always wanted it to be a little bit more. But I think it's grown. I mean, it's kind of, it's obviously it's grown into that. Mm-hmm. But if it's like you can go park your car and walk to four or five different places now. Yeah, there's some cool stuff over there. That could be a little a little inlet, a little pocket. Where's your shop? I don't know that I've seen it. Is it on Oglewood Avenue or is it mm-hmm. on Broadway? It's on Broadway. So okay. I almost like named it Oglewood Avenue on Broadway because I get calls every day, and everyone's always like, "I'm I'm in Oglewood, but this is a neighborhood," and I'm like, "Yep." <laughs> Yeah, it is for sure. Like, go straight, turn to the left, keep on going straight. But it's only two minutes away. So if someone's already at Oglewood, I don't feel too bad just being like, you're right on the money. Just go down the street. Um, But, yeah, Oglewood Avenue is just the name of where – it's the street of where I live at. And it's not – like – Is that Lincoln Park? Yeah, yeah. So it's like Old North Historic Lincoln Park area for sure. Edgewood, is that right? Edgewood, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Love it. I used to live in Park Ridge. I loved it over there. Living, you know, not too far, kind of Fourth and Gill, mm-hmm. kind of near North Knox. It was felt is bikeable, walkable. Yeah, it is bikeable. All those spots right there on Broadway and up towards you. I guess Happy Holler is a pocket. M- pocket. Yeah. It Forgot is. about that one. Okay, so maybe we do have. We got pockets. We have pockets. <laughs> All right. I was. We just need a good five points somewhere. Yeah. You yeah. Know? It's <laughs> like okay. <laughs> Maybe maybe we have some stuff. Maybe I, oh, and then I guess South uh, like oh, Island yeah, Severe Home. Ave. Severe Ave is a. You know what? Never mind. We got pockets. This is like. I, I yeah. I gotta. 
I gotta stop closing us off, man. We have pockets. Well, you're part of building one. I mean, you you've got one up where you're at now too. I think it's know? gonna be. I think I was talking. There was some people talking about like, uh, it's not like yet, but eventually in like two to three years or maybe even four, like there's gonna be a little bit more on that road. So yeah. maybe there'll be, maybe that will be a pocket, a little bit. So yeah. Well, <clears throat> it seems like everything was downtown for for so long. Um, you know cities were built around downtown and mm-hmm. they kind of rippled out from there. And then you had the white flight thing of like seventies, mm-hmm. eighties, everything kind of moved out to the suburbs. And so you got strip malls galore. You got mm-hmm. Turkey creeks everywhere. Yeah. And then now I think it's nice that there's stuff coming back down to downtown, mm-hmm. but then there's ancillary pockets like, like yours and that we're talking about that are, that are popping up around it to kind of, uh, bulk up the density or provide like a little more than just a little, little speck of downtown. Now there's, now there's stuff kind of around the, the radius of it. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. I think so too. I'm, I'm a big fan of it. All right. So I had, um, I had Brandon Bruce and you know that guy? Yeah. Yeah. And he was telling me about, um, 100 Knoxville. Mm-hmm. And you were part of that? Yeah, it was. What was that? How did that? What? What is? Uh, he told me what it was, but what is it in your in your words from your side of it? So a hundred Knoxville for me was like a five week boot camp. I mean, it was five weeks, um, five thousand um, dollars, five mentors, and then it was just like a five week sprint and getting all the things that you needed to get done or. Um, wanted to get done but didn't really know the steps or how um and then it was meetings every week just to make sure that you're on the right track or that um you are kind of getting checklists and things done and so when I first talked to Brandon Brandon's like a ball of energy I love Brandon (laughs) but um I was one of the newer kids in the game since our business has only been open like six months at this point I think yeah we just had our half year birthday nice like a week or two ago. you make yourself a half a birthday cake I didn't I should have I was just like happy 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 half birthday everyone's like what and like six months is an accomplishment you gotta celebrate every month celebrate the little things man um but I had like a huge thing at the store I had like a giveaway for the half birthday and it was near earth day so um it worked out but um we were one of the newer businesses that was um, chosen for 100 Knoxville. And so when Brandon was like, write the checklist, you know, things you needed to do, I wrote just, I started, I call it um, brain vomiting. I just wrote everything I needed to do, just not thinking about it, just writing a checklist. And then uh, Brandon was like, okay, this is, this is the list. And I was like, whoa, 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 this is like 30, like this is a lot of things to do. Um, But it was really great because then I got, help on all of the things um, that I needed to accomplish as a newer business um, and new, different ways and perspectives that I probably wouldn't have thought about um, with different mentorships and ideas. Yeah. So, so it was great. That is so cool. And did you know that there was, did you know that there was going to be monetary support involved when you got involved in it or was that kind of a surprise? It wasn't really, it wasn't a surprise, but it was more of um, at the end thinking about after all that we've learned how is the best way to use um, the money? Yeah, yeah. And in what ways will this benefit now that you know or did or have done all of these things that we've did for the for the five weeks? So it's like you're just not getting money, and then you're like, I don't know what to do with it. You're like, oh, I learned about ads and 
media and bookkeeping and whatever else or whatever you would need help on as a business um, and knowing exactly where you're going to put that money because of the mentorship. So So in your in your show on on Handmade that Mm -hmm. that you do, um, which I want to talk about for sure, but I think in the intro in the show open says that you turned your passion into a business or something, something mm-hmm. like that. When, when did you start with the, with, with houseplants and, and yeah. And like, how do you focus on like houseplants is kind of a, it's kind of niche, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're not doing every, you're not like a big nursery that does uh, palm trees to, you know, to houseplants. You just do indoor houseplants. So where did the whole thing start? Oh, okay. So, it started, so I used to collect plants. Okay. Um, my mom says I'm a collector, and I, I I guess I am. Is that her nice way of saying hoarder? Yes, yes, <laughs> I'm a hoarder. Um, I've acknowledged it, but the positive word is collector. So okay. I am a collector of things, and I can't really let go of them. Um, and my mom said that I went from collecting things at a young age, like toys, stationery. I was a pin collector. I did a lot of things yeah. um, to collecting house plants. Mm-hmm. And she was like, that is your adult collecting hobby. And so um, I collected house plants for three to four years. And I would go to different cities and get them, go and see what different shops were like. Um, once I figured out how to take care of one, I, I think it truly is an addiction. I think mm. that once you can successfully take care of one and see it grow you want to add more and more and more and then after three or four years I blinked and I had like 300 houseplants in my house Um, and I just I mean maybe it wasn't normal but I loved it I loved being in a jungle and um, and then I would start teaching other people about them Um, I was a microbiology major and so there were I was just interested in the science behind what Mm. plants do what they do Um, and how these green little things like move with the sun and they grow and they're so adaptable and it just all of it intrigued me within the addition of taking care of them so um i guess what got me into it was i um i successfully took care of a plant so i was it was a funeral plant that I took care of, and I like that was the one plant I ever focused on that I got to grow. A funeral plant? Yes. Yeah, so that? I was, I was, I was. It's like a memory plant, and so at the mm. store, it's like a lot of people come in the store for um, plants that kind of symbolize um, a death. Mm. Like I get it all the time. I think at least once or twice a week. Is wow. Mm-hmm. So um, I. The, the reason the Oglewood started was, or like the reason it got me into plants was I got a plant from a funeral and it was the first plant that I ever like put all of my energy to, into taking care of. Mm. And it's like a, I still have it to this day. It's really? Like, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's one of my favorite plants. It's, one, it's my favorite and plant And it's ever. in memory of somebody? It's in memory. That's yes. Awesome. And so that was the, after I successfully like intensely learned how to take care of that plant, then I moved on to other ones. But you were a microbiology major already? Mm-hmm. Wow. This is like your life, man. Yeah. And so I think it was a hobby. I mean, it's something I did for fun. Um, And then I, so I graduated with my microbiology degree, you know, just kind of go out in big kid world. Um, And then the pandemic hit. Mm. And I, so I was a photographer and I was going to be a photographer just in my gap year um, before I realized like 
do I want to like do med school or do I want to be a lab scientist? So or, you were going to do you were going to do a master's of some sort. Yes, I was okay. going to do something um, related to science and in some do way. Do photography in the in the meantime. In the meantime, just, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I was doing photography, I was really focusing on like elopements and weddings. Mm-hmm. And then when the pandemic happened, uh, there's no elopements and no <laughs> weddings. And so for six months, I just didn't really have anything on my books, like photography-wise and the scap year that I was doing. Um, and so I had 300 houseplants. I knew that. And so I was like, well, let's just let's just sell some on Facebook. Like, let's do some spring cleaning. Everyone is spring cleaning their clothes. My mom would be so proud yeah, of and me giving up my collecting hobby. Like, I was like, let's just do five. Like, yeah. I, to now we're, go, we're going to go down to 295. Um, but I put, I put like, maybe five or six on Facebook. And I talked about them like, hey, I got this plant in Detroit. It's cool because I got it at this farmer's market. And now it's this big. Uh, so and you they, attached a story to it? Mm-hmm, they all had stories. And I was like, yeah. this is Fred. Like, please do not, like, he's yeah. one of my favorites. <laughs> I like, don't kill him. But like, he needs a new home. Um, and everyone just loved the stories yeah. behind all of the plants. And, and I'm sure the photography was beautiful. I did. Have, I did really focus heavily on making sure the plants were in the best like light and possible, but people loved it. And um, everyone would start snagging them. And I was like, whoa, okay, this is, let's put five more up and see what happens. And then I- And gone. And then gone. <laughs> and I was like, what is going on? Like, does Knoxville have a plant community? I was like, I'd like, what is, so I started putting five more and five more up and um, in seconds they would be gone. And then I was like, okay. So I moved the party to Instagram instead of Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my Instagram blew up with people wanting these plants and knowing the stories. And they'd be like, wait, what was my plant's name again? Um, and they just I love, love like the personality behind the plant. Um, and I would show them how to take care of it pretty easily and always be there to help. So um, that just snowballed into where I am today. I started doing events and pop-ups and then I found a store. So was Oglewood Ave the it was was it the Instagram handle? Yes, yes. Okay. And so people would no one knew where I lived. I would never give my address out. Right. But um, my house was a jungle, so it wasn't hard to find where I lived. Um, and the plant that you, that would be, I would call them plant babies. And yeah. then when you like adopt them, they would be on the porch waiting. So ah. you didn't really know where I lived, but you could grab your adoptable plant if it was yours, and oh, then go on your way. That's so. super cool. Well. You're from Nashville, right? Yes. So where'd you, where, did you grow up there? Yeah, I grew up, I was born in Franklin, and okay. then I grew up in Smyrna, if Tennessee, yeah. if you know where that is. Franklin wasn't what Franklin is now when you were growing up, was it? No, I go back and I'm like, what is this? It's <laughs> nuts, man. People live all the way down, is it 65? Is that the... It's at the interstate right there. People live all the way yep, down like yep. an hour south of Nashville and drive in every single day now. Mm-hmm. And Franklin's like, Franklin used to be really far away from Nashville. Yeah, now it's, now like, it's not. It's like, I live in Nashville. Like, we're like basically, Nashville's basically Franklin. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's crazy. Every time I go home, there's so much traffic and I'm like, ugh. So grew up in Smyrna. What were you into growing up uh, other than being a collector? Ooh, what was I into? Um, sports person or yeah. arts person? Or? Very much sports person. Yeah. Um, I did like competitive cheerleading. And oh, so cool. I was like the one flying in the air and flipping and tumbling and all that good stuff. So like gymnastics-y stuff. Yeah. Um, but what, was your best, uh, what was your best Your best move, whatever they're called? Uh, like t- um, I think the highest thing I could do was a full, which is like. Yeah, a twist. full flip and yeah. a full twist. Yeah, full Three, twist. 360 can... degrees in both directions. Yes, I, but I think that was the highest. And then I was always in the air because I'm a small human. But um, <laughs> so I did that all throughout, col- or all throughout high school. 
So that was my like sport. Cool. Other than collecting random things. And then college? What did I do? Uh, no, I focused pretty heavily on trying to become a doctor. So really? um, I was all about academics mostly. And then I, what did I do? I did, I was in a missions in college and I did a lot of like. Just, did you say emissions? Like, like the emissions of like, um, kind of like tour guiding. Oh, for admissions. The, yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah, admissions. Yeah, yeah. And I was in that, I did that as my oh, job. Cool. And then nice. I worked at UT Hospital in the okay. ER. Ooh, so, cool. oh, and I guess I did like lab work with so, microbiology. So you went to like you went that. to UT. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're another one of those uh, assets for the town that came came through the university and never left and just stayed. I yeah. love that. <laughs> I love it so much. The university gets a hard time for just being this eight football game a year like entity that just makes people so mad for the you know those eight days when it's all busy and. And but it is such a feeder system of awesome people like you that end up coming, realizing it's an awesome place to live, mm-hmm. and end up staying for a long time and becoming active participants in the community. It's, yeah, it's like it's it's a really cool thing, I think, and I'll take it all day long. Um, so when you uh, gr- so growing up in Nashville, what what made you decide UT like just far enough away from from the parents? But, yeah, but but close enough. To kind the of. Yeah. So it was more like a mom versus dad. Like, uh, were they together still? No, no they were okay. apart. And okay. so my mom was like, go to UT. My dad is from, he's lived now lives in Tampa, Florida. So he okay. was like, go to UF. So like the university of Florida. So oh, like, no, the, no, 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 yeah. No. And so the UT UF <laughs> like debate was like deep in my family, like <laughs> not a- just football. And so, I got into both and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so I decided. You I'm got gonna... into both universities? Yes. And... Yes. And <laughs> so, so you they had were, to pick. They were just competing. You and... were hoping that one of them was going to let you in. The other one wasn't. Yeah. And then the decisions made for you. Your parents weren't going to be bad. Yes. It's like, oh, I, I didn't choose this. The school chose it for me. Yeah. Um, but he wanted me to be closer and she wanted me to stay. And so mm. I decided I'm just going to go to UT for one year. Mm. I'm going to go to UT for one year. I could always transfer yeah. if I don't like it. And I'm not, I was like, I'm not going to stay at UT. I'm just going to do this to make my mom happy. Um, and then I uh, stayed and I never left. And even. Why'd at, you stay? I don't know. I didn't, I made friends yeah. and Knoxville wasn't so bad. It wasn't awful. It wasn't awful. <laughs> uh, I, my mom visited and I just had, I really just had no reason to leave at yeah. that point. And even. Now, um, now I've been here for, I guess, seven years, maybe, I think it's seven at this point, four or five, yeah, maybe seven, it's been seven, and um, when I first got to Knoxville, it's like, after these four years, I'm gone, like, I'm going to go somewhere else, yeah. and then it's kind of the same thing, it's like, I don't really have a reason to leave. Yeah, um, people call it the K-hole sometimes. Really? <laughs> yeah, the, the, just like derogatorily, I think, but it's like, people come and get stuck, because it's, as far as places to live go. It's What's not wrong bad. with it? Find some bad things about it. You know, yeah. some construction on Alcoa Highway is about the worst I got for you right now. Yeah, and you can get everywhere so quickly. You yeah. can go to Nashville, you can go to Atlanta, Asheville, yeah. you can go everywhere. I think we're like 10 or 12 hours driving from two thirds of the country's population mm-hmm. or something like that, or 75% of the country's population. So I mean, you can be in New York City in 11 hours from here. You're being not all the way to Miami, but almost there. Pretty close. You know, in, in, in that amount of time, too. So, yeah, there's just it, we're close to everything. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a it's definitely a great place to live. Um, all right. So so after UT, you're thinking microbiology major is a great feeder for 
med school. Did you take the MCAT or anything like that? No, I was going to do it in my gap year. You were? Mm-hmm. So were you trying, were you just deciding like, eh, this arts this arts thing with the photography is maybe going to be a little more fun? Like maybe I won't make as much money, but it'll be a, a lot more fun. Yeah, I was I was always pretty creative. Um, yeah. I've always been creative, but I've always just liked science too. So it's always been like this really inner battle of do I go creative route or do I stick to what I know? Um, and honestly, just I worked at, uh, at a in a trauma ER for two two years and at I was UT Hospital. At UT Hospital, and I was like, I just need something happy. I just need yeah. something like joyful. Um, and I was like, people mm-hmm. in love are joyful. Like people, you know, people yeah. taking the next step in their life. That's pretty happy. And so, um, I just liked that I could document happiness and happy people and happy times. Um, and that just made me feel good. It's like a good, like feel good inside type of occupation and job. And so I was like, I'll just try this. Um, my parents are like, I don't know how this is going to work. Mm-hmm. Like, what is this? this isn't your route. And I was like, just give me a year. Um, and so they did. And I'm super glad I did it. I think I would have been a great doctor. I think I would have been an amazing doctor, but I think that I would have missed out on um, this like creative side of, of who I am that I probably wouldn't have pursued if I would have went straight at like medical route. Yeah. So was it the, uh, was it the immersion in this kind of panicked or, or kind of, mm, almost sad world of, of trauma in, in the ER that, that made you uh, make that decision that you wanted to be surrounded by joy? Was it, was that the exact reason that you, was it like, I cannot be in the middle of all this sadness anymore. I've got to be, I've got to subject myself to happiness. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, I went through a pretty traumatic experience. I was in a really bad car um, crash where my oh. boyfriend at the time we had a head on collision and he died. Oh my yeah. God. And Jeez, so, so it's okay. It's like, I think most people know the story now at this point. It's like, it's, it was I a didn't thing. know that story. Yeah. I'm so sorry. No, you're okay. But um, we got, we got rushed to the hospital that I was working at. And so after like that and me graduating, I think it was at the same time. It was in December. And so I was like, I'm just not doing any of it. And so, yeah, at that point afterwards, I was like, I need something happy or I'm going to like not be happy. So, it's yeah. a huge turning point in your life. Oh, yeah. It was like the, the reason. Yeah, probably at this point for sure. The biggest um, like 180 flip was that. It's like sure. life's too short. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And he always told me to chase his, chase my dreams. Mm. And then I just had to sit and like realize like, well, what dreams are those? And am I going to be happy like this? Or is this just what I'm doing because that's what I always thought? Or are there other paths I'm not taking? And so, yeah, I just had to like sit with it and be like, what, what do I want to do now? And how am I going to do that? And whatever I decide, do that 100% full force. And so... That's kind of my like life motto now. I do everything like pretty intensely, pretty like no no breaks, and yeah. then I just see what comes out of it, and it's been great. Yeah, it's it's interesting how many people <clears throat> go through you know most of their life, and it something that 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 changes them and makes them grateful to be alive and makes mm-hmm. them move in a certain direction. It doesn't happen until way late. Mm-hmm. And then they, and then it's like you feel like you wasted, you know, fifty years of your life or something like that. You hear about it all the time. Yeah. So what was I, what was I doing? But it sounds like, you know, somewhat 
renewed purpose and, and you're not going to take a bit of it for granted. Mm-mm. No. Yeah. It was a, it was a game changer. Yeah. Um, um so one of the things that uh, amazed me about like how I found out about you wasn't even through your plant shop. It was through your, through your HGTV, uh, the, the, the uh, show you host on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that all go down? So HGTV handmade, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a houseplant 101 that? series. Um, houseplants 101. Houseplants 101. It's just, um, <laughs> It's not even like guides or anything because some of the topics that we're doing are pretty just interesting topics. Um, It's more just like anything that people are kind of curious or want to know more about houseplants. And so it's like maybe um, Houseplants 101 was uh, the first video that we did. And it was just like a basic overview of um, plants, low light, highlight, just things like that. But um, as time goes on, I think we're just going to pick some super interesting topics to talk about. But how they found me was just uh, I just opened up my email and there was a there was an inquiry um, to see if I was doing anything content related. Mm. Um, and then they think they found me from Instagram. And I was like, no, I'm not doing anything. And then I saw the <laughs> the bottom HGTV and I just resp- I don't usually respond immediately. But I like yeah. responded immediately. Um, and yeah. so yeah, they they found me, and I was I just it was great. It's amazing. I mean, it's it's got to be. It seems like there's been so many great things that have that have uh, that have happened from you opening the shop, going through the 100 Knoxville thing, and then it seems like you're living right. If people like a top five cable network are tracking you down to try to get you to make content for them, so it's a testament, I think, to I don't know to that you're doing something right. You know, I, yeah. I believe in the karma thing and like the live in the right way. Mm-hmm. And and it seems like you've had a bunch of milestones recently. And I love the, I love the series. I don't know. I've seen probably a little more of them than the general public has just because I get to see them mm-hmm. a little sooner. Um, but it's interesting too, that they just, they hit you up. You did one of them house plants one Oh one. And that was just supposed to be it. Is that- uh, we did two. Okay. And then it was, I didn't know what was going to happen after that. They posted them and they did really good. And so then, um, we, we did more. We did like four. So they just called the series Houseplants 101 at that point? Yes. Awesome. And so, yeah. And so we did more and we're, we're doing more. And so, um, yeah, it's it's different because it's not – I've always done like interviews and um, even podcasts and it, it's like more conversational. Right. Um, but – in front of a camera with like a red dot kind of blinking. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is it. Okay, haha. And I get so nervous. Really? Um, yeah, I get so nervous. But um, I think I think I'm a bit, bit better now. But when I first did it, it was a little intimidating. Is it hard? Um, it, a little bit. I think I get so nervous in front of the camera, and everyone says that they don't ever see it. Um, but I do, and I just get nervous. And but I think after a while, so after like the first or second, when I got way better. But mm. I think at first, just having um, something like to look at something was a little bit just different. I was just used to like interviews, not memorizing um, content or even like thinking about it. But once once I kind of got over the fact that I can just talk about plants, just how I would normally talk about plants, and it was great. I was like, oh. Who cares that a camera is over here? This plant is cool because of X, Y, and Z, and it yeah. does this, and it got better after that. Yeah. But it I, is different. I understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, I did theater growing up and all that, and I was always fine in front of people, but there's something different about a camera being pointed at your face. Mm-hmm. And even this, like even even microphones, like it can sometimes change 
change some change who somebody is, change, you know, their change their personality a little bit, can close people off some. That was what I was gonna ask next. I was like, have you ever seen someone like put on or just start speaking on your show and then they're like, oh, this is different. You see that picture of that guy right there with the uh, exploding uh, dump truck in the background? Yes. Yeah, that's one of my best friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he came on the show (laughs) and we sit there, we will talk to each other for four or five hours in a row, just sitting, you know, and we used to work together and we'd be on the road all the time. You couldn't get us to shut up. And then I don't know what happened, but we both just kind of got nervous when we sat down and started (laughs) talking in front of microphones. It's like, oh no, people are going to actually hear this. Like we got to be on our best behavior now. Um, That's the only time it's really been super noticeable for me. Mm. He's going to hate that I said that. (laughs) I think he wants to come in here and redo it. Yeah. You think so? Yeah. He also recommended, he was like, you know, if it didn't feel so formal, then it would be easier. Like we went out and started standing next to the campfire afterwards and we were just talking and, uh, and he was like, see, this is, this is what it should be. And I was like, well, I don't know how to make this work. Like mm-hmm. I would have to put lavalier mics on us and we'd have to stand out here. Spoiler alert. I did figure that out. And I think I'm going to try to figure, I think I'm going to start bringing that into the fold a little Ooh. bit too and not just do them here, do them in like, you know, more casual locations that'd be good i think i think i think this is fine too yeah, but i, I also so. if someone i guess is nervous then yeah. having them like by a bonfire would also be pretty cool yeah we're going to i'm going to south america next week i'll be gone for about 10 days and while i'm down there um a filmmaker buddy of mine that we work together he's also um uh an econ- a phd like economist at university of alabama birmingham mm-hmm. i'm going to talk to him a little bit and oh, we're wow. going to do it on the beach so on on the new on the new mic setup. So Ooh. we'll see. So that'll be we'll, that'll be the, the the guinea pig version. We'll see how that goes. And then maybe you can compare to see if that was like a yeah. calmer transition or something. Yeah, yeah. It's like oh, that was a terrible idea. Let's go back <laughs> to the shop. Yeah. Um, so the, the the being in front of the camera thing is definitely is definitely tough. But you find yourself getting better at it. Yes, and I think That's it's good. weird because I've always I think I've always been behind the camera. If I was if there was yeah. ever a camera involved and being in front of it is like oh this is what so my clients used to kind of like have to because they they would change too. They'd be yeah. like what do I do with my hands? I'm like just act normal. And they're like yeah, I can't I can't I yeah. can't. And so I I had a little bit of that in the, in the beginning too. And so I was like oh I understand now what people when people say that. So I started making making films and, and all that, you know, long time ago. But, but the first time I really got back in front of the camera after I got into, to making films was, was right around the time that I graduated from film school and my wife and I got engaged and we did this, uh, we did an engagement photo shoot. Mm-hmm. My sister-in-law, Jennifer Crook is a, is a, uh, is a wedding photographer. She took the, the photographs for us. So me and my wife are doing these, you know, doing our engagement photos and after a few minutes, she's like, you're acting so weird. Like, what is going, what is wrong with you? Why can't you act normal in front of a camera? I'm like, I, I don't know. I feel overly scrutinized now that I've been behind a camera so much. It feels weird to be in front of it. Do you think a teleprompter would help? Maybe. I, I, maybe, but maybe not. Yeah. I, maybe it'd make it harder. Maybe make right? it harder. Cause then I have to like, look, I think. After I think the first the first time I was ever on camera with HGTV was um, probably the hardest. But then really? after that, um, every every time I go on, it gets easier and easier and easier. Yeah. Um, but maybe it's all I think now I think that was just 
I just, it was just something new. I just never have like experienced having in front of me. But now, like every time we do them, it's pretty, I'm pretty okay. That's good. I'm pretty okay now, but it did take a, I think that's the only one, that's the first time I think I've ever been truly out of my comfort zone. Gotcha. In like a big way that I couldn't really like, I just wasn't used to. Everything else I think I can do normally. And I'm super social, um, super, so super, so like crazily social. I think it's, it's a lot sometimes. <laughs> I like love to talk, but this is the first time I didn't really have anything to say. I yeah. was like, ah, what is going on? Um, but now it's good. I'm not used to the, I'm, I'm used to the camera. So yeah, that's good. It got better. Well, it sounds like there's more coming down. So I'm hoping, hoping it gets better every time for you. Yeah. <laughs> sucks to be nervous all the time. Um, so if, like I told you a little bit about before we started about about my wife wading into the house plants space, and it sounds like she did all right with a getting a ZZ and a snake plant. Like those are good ones to start with. Yeah, those are one of the top three. I think I would even suggest to people. Really? Yeah, to beginners. You got a bunch sure. of those over at the shop. Yeah, I think our our best seller is actually a snake plant. Fun fact: we really? sell more snake plants than anything else in the store. Really? Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's because you only have to water it once a month, mm. um, and it's low light friendly. And so it's a plant that you can like chuck against a wall and it's truly not going to die. Yeah. Um, and its nickname is the mother-in-law's tongue because you can't kill it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's his nickname. It's like all day nickname. But see, people come in and like, do you have mother-in-law's tongues? I'm like, yeah, I'm I like, do. You're old. I can tell. Yeah. It's like that nickname. <laughs> yeah. We, we have that plant for you. Um, but that's our, that's the first top seller. And then Azizi is pretty close. Um, mm-hmm. It's not our top seller because we run out of them so fast ah. um but it is one that i mean sells immediately and once we get them and those are easy ones too because you only have to water once a month yeah and um, they have a little tube like a tubular system that kind of holds water and so it releases it when it's when, when it, it needs, needs it, it. Mm-hmm. so it, it, it's very efficient with how it yeah and it's very it's very good for like neglectful or like new plant parents because yeah. you don't you don't have to remember it's there um and then the third one would be one called a pothos or pothos whatever people say potato mm-hmm. potato but it's pothos um it's not one that you you have to only water like once a month. You have to water uh, once every two weeks or so, but mm-hmm. they're really fast growers. And it was mm-hmm. my first house plant growing up. Um, it's a lot of people's first house plant because it's just uh, super, super easy. And it tells you when it needs water. Um, so your wife got two out of the three. So the next is like when she comes in, I'm going to suggest the third of the of the beginner trio <laughs> that she doesn't have yet. But those are the ones that I would probably start off anyone with right no matter no matter what kind of plant parent they are or what kind of house they live in mm-hmm. they, they can probably make those work yes i would hope i would hope and then some people come in and like i've killed all of those and i'm like okay um <laughs> let's do an air plant let's 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 try something yeah what are air plants so i kind of know about those yeah bit. air plants are plants that kind of live their their true name is called bromeliads but they live um kind of in rainforests on top of trees, mm. um, on branches. They get nutrients from um, the air, the moisture, and then from the other plants that they're kind of sitting on top of or hanging yeah. out with. Gotcha. Um, but they don't have soil, the ones I'm talking about. Some of them do, but the ones I'm talking about, bromeliads and the air plant variety, they don't have soil. So they can kind of just sit on a table mm. and not die. You have to mist it. They only grow when they're in water. So you have to bathe it and mist it a couple times a week. Um, but they're just, they just live and you just think that it's fake and it's not, it's real. Um, okay. But they're, they're a good beginner plant if you don't want to mess with soil. If you don't want any like actual dirt 
in your house that that's the plant I always suggest to people. It's nice that you've got these, these, the, the pothos, the snake plant and the ZZ, but even if somebody can't do that, you've got, you've got like an ACE in the hold, Mm -hmm. (laughs) something that's a little bit easier. Uh, What about succulents? They're like, I would think that they would be easy because they, because they live in deserts where there's no water. (laughs) Is that true or are they hard? It depends on the person. Um, Succulents aren't the easiest in my opinion. Everyone's a little different, but I hear it a lot at the storefront. People say, oh, I killed my succulent or my succulent has become like the term is called leggy, which means that it's taller, but there's not as much um, like like foliage Mm -hmm. on it. It's just like reaching for the sun. Mm. Um, And I think succulents, people think that they're easy, but you have to have a lot of sun for them to be happy. Mm. I mean, think desert conditions, a lot of light. And so um, people want them and they realize that they don't have the sun for them and then the succulent struggle. Um, So if people do have the light, I like to suggest cacti just because they're a little bit more hardier. Sometimes succulents are a little bit temperamental. um, But they're they're still an easy option. You you just have to know your sunlight for them to be easy for you. So if you don't have a lot of sun, it might not be the best plant. How hard was it for you to, I mean, you said you're a microbiology major at UT. How hard was it for you to apply everything that you learned about cellular life and microbiology into into the world of plants? Oh, yeah. It's completely different. I mean, in microbiology, I would be looking under things in a microscope and yeah. looking at germs and um, viruses and bacteria and things that you just can't see with a naked eye. Um, so whenever I wasn't doing intense microbiology class i would you, like, you have like classes that you can take as prereqs that yeah. are a little bit more fun but i would kind of go towards the like uh botany yeah. type of things just yeah. to kind of not be so intense and so that's when i first was like oh plants do this too or like what is this like evolutionary thing that plants do because they don't get a lot of light it's just crazy that the things that like small microorganisms that you can't see kind of adapt and evolve and do that like plants do things like that as well. Gotcha. Um, and so, so there was some crossover. A little, but you not were set up for success. Just a tad yeah. bit. Um, <laughs> but really, I tell people the the only reason I can tell you about all the plants that I have or that I have had in the store is because I've killed them four or five times to even let you know how to take care of them now. So um, it's definitely trial and error. I've killed so many plants all of the time, which I don't think makes me a bad plant parent. I think it just taught me for the next time I grabbed that plant to know what not to do. Um, so have you, has it been trial and error or have you done a lot of research or? I think it's both. I think, um, I do research to know where to put the plant, the light, the conditions, um, all that great stuff. But then it's also like some plants just get mad at you for no reason. They have personalities and sometimes you just don't know why this plant isn't happy right now. You just, it's just not. And then it dies. And so I think, most of some of it's research, but a lot of it is trial and error. I mean, I've gotten the same plants over and over again, just with the like mentality that I have to learn and figure out how to keep it alive. Um, so that's what I tell people. Everyone's because at the store, I just start rambling, and everyone's like, How do you know all this? And I'm like, I've killed four of them. And the first <laughs> one I killed is because I didn't give it enough water. And the second one I killed is because the sun was wrong. And so, and it's like, and after all that, this is the right care. And I they're love like, it. Thank you. Yeah. How many plants do you have at your house now? So you you had three hundred, and then you got down to two ninety five after you sold five of them, and then you sold five more. So has everything moved to the moved to the shop now? Yes, most okay. of my plants are moved to the shop. I have maybe 
50 at home, maybe 60. Um, and then I have shop plants, which are plants that are at the shop that I won't sell because they're uh, mine. I uh, have plants that have came through the store um, that for some reason I can't couldn't give them up. And so they live at the store. Um, we call them shop pets. So they all have names yeah. and people watch them grow, but they're not for sale. So I have gotcha. five or six or eight. I have a lot of them, maybe 10. And I have a lot how, of one. How many, how many plants do you think you've got at the shop now? Oh, uh, just like for sale? Yeah, yeah. Ooh. You got a big wall back there. The big you- wall. <laughs> For sale, maybe like boom, five, 300 to 500, maybe. Yeah. There's a lot. That's so cool. Maybe more than that. Yeah. I get restocked every week. You do? Yeah. That's good. I guess it's good for them to move though too so you can get them onto some good homes and start taking care of some new ones. Mm-hmm. You, you see yourself as kind of a foster parent for these plants? I do. That's what I tell people. I'm really? like, I'm like, I'm just babysitting for you yeah. until you find the one you want. <laughs> I'm just babysitting. Do you ever and, go to like any go inside anybody's house and does anybody ever ask you to like interior design style kind of like hey what would be good in my space or do you just kind of help them figure it out from afar? Oh well, it depends. Um, for sure, I've been I've done a couple offices. Oh yeah, I'm in the works of doing um, a hotel right now awesome. and a couple of restaurants. I did a restaurant yesterday, actually. Nice. Yeah, and so if people ask, like I'm super. I, I You're love down. designing. Yeah, I yeah. think I love plants, but what I love more is designing with plants and pots and figuring out the lighting and the space. Yeah. And I think interior scaping. If I ever was not a plant shop small business owner interior escaping and designing would be like the next route I would take naturally yeah. um, it's one of my favorite things to do is to like I think I like people say in photography you, you like have a certain eye yeah. and I think in plants I like see it as how I would want it photographed yeah. and then I try to match it to the plant and the pot in the interior space so um, yeah of course I do I love it I love it even when I'm at someone's house or something like um, the other day I went to go pick up a new um desks just as an office and yeah. and the person recognized me and was like can you come in my house and see if this plant would fit here and I'm like uh yeah I will <laughs> um and so sometimes I get it when I'm not even thinking like not even uh, knowing it's next I'm like yeah like that plant would go great right there you should add this white pot to it and they're like oh thank you um but it's like something simple like that I love it how's the business going I mean how is being a business owner as what everybody says, best thing they've ever done, hardest thing they've ever done. Are you adapting to it? I for sure am adapting. Um, I do think so. People go to school for this, right? Like for people business? get, yeah, yeah. Like people get like degrees, and uh, I just threw myself in it. Like really, I think I really underestimated what being a small business owner was about in the beginning. I think for some reason I was like, oh, I have this dream, I'm gonna do it, and like we'll just see what happens, but. In the reality, seeing what happens is you got to learn a lot and you got to do a lot. And um, I, I think I, I like really only shop small businesses now because I have a newfound respect, man. Like, sure. I mean, it's it's long hours, it's long nights. You can never turn your brain off. You're always thinking business. Um, 
sometimes you like miss out on events or like things because you're just in your business like your hands are getting in it and um, yeah I think I, I just have a really newfound respect for business owners I think that it's something special and I, I do think it's the hardest thing I've ever done yeah. I think this is the most I've ever worked on one single thing I've hit like 40 to 60 hours in it every week um, but I do think that if it's your passion then you're going to want to work for your business and you're yeah. going to want to kind of put your all into it but yeah it's not easy None of it's easy. How'd you get hooked up with the um, 100 Knoxville? Because th- they, because if I'm not mistaken, it's targeted at Black-owned businesses. Yeah, right? you're right. Mm-hmm. Okay. How did you? How did you? Uh, did you find them? Did they find you? How did you guys match make? Brandon Bruce found me. Okay. Um, uh, he found me, and um, I one day this like almost seven foot man came into my store, and I was like, "Hello, you're so tall," and he was like just talking to me and just start talking business to me. And I was like, okay, this is great. Like this, um, he's so like knowledgeable and he was cool and just really conversational. And then he was like, have you heard of hundred Knoxville? And I was like, I don't know what that is. Um, and then he basically was like, you should apply for it. Mm. And then I just went on the website and applied. Um, and we were in contact a little bit just before that about like, okay, this is a black on business um, and talking about, just talking to me about that. And then um, when 100 Knoxville, the, there was a small little, I guess it wasn't little, there was a small, it was a small big Zoom meeting about what 100 Knoxville was and, mm. and kind of the um, formation of it and the foundation of it. And then after that, I applied it right away because I thought it was an ama- amazing opportunity and um, kind of an amazing movement that Knoxville was trying to do or now is doing. So you already had the shop when when you started. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think it was like four months in, three okay. months in, somewhere like that. And then some some guy walks in and says, "I, I wanna I wanna help you succeed." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, "Whoa, this is crazy! <laughs> this doesn't happen." I was like, "What is going on? Why is what is this?" Yeah, is the is uh, the entrepreneur center involved in that at all? Do you know? Yes, the okay. uh, KEC is, and, K- and yeah. the entrepreneur center is, is great too. Did, have you used them as a resource? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they they've came in and gotten plants, and um, if anyone needs them, they kind of send them my way. They're a great resource. I think if anyone wants to is in entrepreneurship or even wants to kind of dive into t- to that world, they'd be in one of the most amazing resources. Yeah, they're a champion of mm-hmm. on- of entrepreneurs, especially ones that are just starting. Yes, you know. They're there. They are there to be a resource. It seems like to connect you to the right people, and then say, "It's up to you now," mm-hmm. you know, and then be there to support you along the way as, as well. So, what's what? What have you? What have you learned? If you're if you're talking to six months ago, Jade, what would you? If you're talking to Jade six months ago, what would you tell her? Ooh, I would. <laughs> she wouldn't be prepared for this. Really? Um, I would tell her to chew. That's like no. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that question, ever. Okay. Wow. I got to think now. What? Okay. Um, what did I tell six months ago, Jade? I would tell her to uh, enjoy it. I think that to enjoy what's going to happen next, to be open to what's going to happen next, um, to say yes to every opportunity that intrigues you, mm-hmm. um, and to get ready for a wild ride. I would tell her to buckle up. I would tell her that I would tell her that once you start, it's not you like it's going to change your like it's going to change my trajectory in your life. Um, And I think I think six six months ago, Jay would probably be intrigued by that answer, but probably be very curious too. Um, Yeah, I do think it's my life now. I don't think I can see my life without plants. 
um, without being a maker or creator or a small business owner. Yeah. Um, and I don't think I would ever want to. Yeah. So, How's the community um, out, outside of that, like the neighborhood, how are they responding to it? Oh, well, okay. It's such a, like, it's such a niche thing. It's, yeah. it's not, you're right. As in, it's not, I don't do annuals or perennials or right. outside landscaping. Um, and I really specialize in tropicals. I specialize in what mm-hmm. I know, which yeah. is like rare, exotic, tropical plants. Stuff to turn your house into a jungle. Yeah. Stuff to like <laughs> give you rainforest vibes for days. And if it's not that, I I will obviously um, learn about it, but like I really specialize in what I know about. Mm-hmm. And so for it to be that specific thing and the community still support it was like so great um yeah i think the everyone loves plants i just not i just didn't know that i just mm. didn't know that knoxville had a really huge plant community um but i'm, I'm grateful that we do so the the community i think me being a female owned business me being a black owned business um and me being a business just kind of like the north side of knoxville neighborhood has pretty supported me supported me in the in the business pretty heavily and i I obviously without them i wouldn't be a business so i'm pretty pretty dang thankful if i could say so myself um but no i mean and i love i love the community i love knowing people's names and their dogs names and when their kids are graduating and um, people come in just to talk to me really? and to pet my dog. And you take your dog to work? Yeah, I take my dog to work. I love it. Or sometimes people will bring me coffee and they'll be like, We've noticed that you, your lights have been on the shop every day because we pass by and it's 11 p.m. and you're still here. And it's midnight on the Saturday and your lights are on and we noticed that going home from somewhere. So here's a coffee this morning. And I'm like, That's what? Awesome. Yeah. And so everyone, I'll get, I'll come in and there'll be like pots dropped off at the door. Or people will gift me plants that they've had for like 10 years. See, that's more of your karma stuff, though. Like, I'll, I'll be honest. It's like ever, ever since I've I've known about you, it's just like this proliferation of good things that <laughs> seems to happen. That's awesome. Yeah. Everyone's so positive. And I'm, I'm just yeah, I'm just glad it's just been I don't know. It's like just been amazing. I, I always say I, this has to be my purpose because a lot of these doors I don't even they just sometimes swing open and yeah. it's always just good. And I'm like, I like your mentality of like, just let's just say yes right now mm-hmm. just, and see gonna, what happens later. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be good. Yeah. What else? What have we got? I'm trying, I'm trying to think of uh, what we missed. I didn't, this happened, this came up so quickly. I didn't have time to like, to, to prepare. Yeah. To but, like I got, think. but I got, um, <clears throat> what I did, what I did do was, you know, I, I did get to watch, uh, I think all of your videos, some Monstera basics. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that. Maybe maybe that's your next one for your wife. Yeah. A Monstera instead of a, to, to go along with her ZZ and snake plant. And maybe she that third one she got may be a pothos. There's a couple different kinds of them, right? Mm-hmm. There are. There are. They're, they're like a vine. Yeah. It looks like a vine. Are you going to do the... Um, are you going to do the farmer's market or anything like that? I'm thinking about it. Um, I think I, I'm doing the like old city markets right now. Okay. They're always a hit. And then I know the farmer's market does allow plants because I was looking it up. So They do? Yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have that truck that comes and sells flowers, mm-hmm. the flower truck. But I don't know that I've seen a house plants. 
still there. You do great at the farmer's market. Yeah, I was thinking that. I, I think I would love it too. And so uh, I think I was looking it up actually the other day to see if I can apply for them. Because um, I, I love I the store, but I started off with pop-ups and stuff and like just mm. being in the community and coffee shops. And um, I love markets. I, I'm pretty obsessed. It's not like a hoarder. I'm, just not, I'm not a collector of markets. I'm a collector <laughs> of going to markets. Yeah. Um, I love markets. I'll find a market anywhere. Um, and I because I think it's small makers. Um, so I think I would want to do that as well, is the farmer's markets. If they're, if, I think they're a thing this year. Are they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They did. They, they used to be every every Saturday and Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Do them for a couple hours every Wednesday. Um, and uh, I'm not, yeah, I'm glad to, I'm glad to know that they're back. Seems like things are coming, coming back. Mm-hmm. I'm excited about that. I am too. It's been a while. We used to have uh plexiglass hanging right here from you see that chain right oh there? yeah that Where makes okay plexiglass was hanging down right here to separate me from the guests we'd just walk in different doors we'd sit down <laughs> and then we'd do it so it feels good i'm full vax too so yay I'm, I'm feeling feeling all right about things i'm excited coming back. i'm excited i think everyone's also hiring right now and i think that is because everything's coming back and i think everyone's yeah. like all right we, it's happening that's why yeah. i feel every day like Yesterday was a busy day at the store Good. On, for a Wednesday. It was, yeah. And I was like, it's happening. I think half of it's Mother's Day is coming up. But I think the other half is that. Um, I'm going to come see you tomorrow. Yeah, I was like, I think for- half of it's Mother's Day. People are getting plants for their mama bears. Um, yeah. But I think half of it, people are going out more, um, yeah. which is exciting. Because I started in a pandemic, so I don't know anything other than pandemic business owning. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen <laughs> afterwards. It, my buddy, Zach Roskop that we were talking about that started the Knox Brew Hub during mm-hmm. the pandemic. It's like you two. I have so much. I have so much. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how you guys do it. That's amazing to take the worst, <laughs> most uncertain time in American history in our lifetimes, mm-hmm. you know, say, so, you know, I think I'm going to start a business. Yeah. What could go wrong? Everything. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, you guys are brave. Thanks, thanks. That's what it takes to, be, to beat out the next guy, right? I think I don't know, man. I just put I put all my chips in one basket. I was like, Mom, I'm blowing my savings on this business idea, Good for you. and she was like, Okay, and I was like, All of my chips. So when I started it, I was like, If this doesn't work, my small life savings. I'm only 23, so <laughs> my life savings is, gone, is like amazing. done. Um, and I think yeah, being a young business owner is kind of weird too it's because i am 23 and so i'm like fighting this world of like wanting to do what my friend like being out all the time and like having a huge social life to like i have responsibilities that like i just never had before and so it's 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 a different being a 23 year old running a pandemic business is i wish i was as I wish I had it together as much as you do when I was 23 years old. No. Good no. for you. It's a lot of coffee, man. It's just copious amounts of caffeine daily. Is that all it takes? Maybe. A lot. Maybe. A lot of it. <laughs> you got to wake up in the morning. Too. I drink five cups. Like I'm on my fourth cup today. Good. That's why I'm talking so much. No, I'm, I'm so, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm envious of the head start that you've got on life because, you know gonna do great man i'm so excited for you it's, you're gonna do great well thanks i hope so <laughs> i feel like i'm 23 sometimes now look at the calendar it turns out i'm 35 no you're 35 yeah i wouldn't even know see you I, 
Yeah, you 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 look you look twenty three, but but you've got it Thanks. put together more than more than more than twenty three. And I, I think I'm the other way around. I look thirty five and act like I'm fifteen or something. You got to like stay that. youthful, man. Yeah, you got to. You got to forget, stay feeling young. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm excited for you. I'm I'm, I'm really um, I'm excited to, to see your business grow and also your on camera stuff. I think that's awesome. I think it's so cool, and you get you you, you just got so many good things. I'm really happy for you. Thank you so much, and thanks for having me today. Of course, let's do it again sometime. Yeah, yeah, and we'll uh, I'll come see you for for Mother's Day. Okay, okay, I'm excited. Okay, cool. Thanks, Jade. Yeah, you're welcome. Have a great day. You too. Well, there you have it. First ever SOS double header. Thank you guys for being here. Follow us on Instagram at South of Scruffy. Check out our Patreon, patreon.com backslash South of Scruffy. Take care of yourselves. We'll talk to you real soon, all right? Pitchwire. Play me out.